You're in the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. The Paracast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash Paracast. So we have our friend Chris O'Brien here with Gene Steinberg. Chris, you're becoming a famous lecturer again? <laughs> I don't know about that. I okay, you're an infamous to, uh, lecturer. We're going to have this okay, infamous, infamous yeah. lecture tour that's actually starting this weekend. Correct. I'm heading out to California. I'll be uh, speaking at the MUFON chapter. It's kind of a combination of three of the Northern California groups. Uh, the event will be in San Jose at the um, it's a Unity Church. But yeah, I'll be speaking there on Sunday. and then. So basically by down. the time people are hearing this show, you will be lecturing at the same time. Well, it's actually uh, the Sunday. The Sunday one's at 1 in the afternoon. And then the following Tuesday, I'll be in L.A., Studio City, and then uh, Wednesday the 18th, I'll be down in Orange County in Costa Mesa. You know, speaking of MUFON, there's a story over at the Sci-Fi Channel's blog called Blaster.com. That's B-L-A-S-T-R.com. And you got to hear this, okay, Chris? All right. Okay, Watch the Sky, 2012, already record-breaking year for UFO sightings. Hmm. Okay. By the first week of 2012 alone, UFO sightings were reported in 36 of the 50 states here in the U.S., that according to the Mutual UFO Network. Wow. The states left out. By the way, 14 states are left out. So if you lived in these states, you didn't have a UFO during the first part of 2012. Alaska, Arkansas, Delaware, Hawaii, Maine, Minnesota, Montana, Nebraska, North Dakota, Rhode Island, South Dakota, Washington, Wisconsin, and Wyoming, Sorry, folks, no UFOs. You were left out this time. But mm -hmm. that could change later. Sounds like most of the M's and uh, a few of the N states were, were devoid of activity. But you and I both know, Gene, that there were probably events that just didn't get reported. That's always true. You know, and there's also this publicity flap where if one sighting gets some kind of prominence, then suddenly everybody reports their sightings. Now, specifically, in January of 2011, MUFON got 500 reports for the entire month. Wow. They got 233 the first week of 2012, January. They got 6,000 reports last year, and Goodness. they could get a lot more this year. So this is interesting, really interesting. I hope it's not just to sell MUFON memberships. <laughs> Let's hope the uh, good ones aren't being filtered off to uh, our friendly uh, Nevada billionaire. Yeah, what is their status with Bigelow? Is that deal gone and forgotten? Officially, I think it is, but there is still some question in some people's minds uh, that the relationship still uh, is intact, but uh, very low-key. Well, so far, at least, if you look at the MUFON Journal, I know you don't get a copy, but if you look at the MUFON Journal, you do see a lot of sighting reports, so it's not as if this stuff is being kept under the radar. Okay. <laughs> I wish we had more radar on it. Then maybe we'd get better hard data. That's true. I mean, a lot of these sightings are just people seeing lights in the sky. But, you know, there are a lot of cases there. And it's interesting yeah. that people are suddenly looking to the skies and finding strange things happening. Yeah, but like our guest today. Oh, my <sighs> goodness. Talk about a guy that 
has uh, been there and done that. He's been looking to the sky for since the early 50s. He's one of the last of the original old guard of field investigators. And boy, are we, uh, I guess, blessed and graced to have uh, Mr. Ray Stanford as our guest here at the Paracast uh, for his uh, first real return engagement. Now, it's interesting here when we put up our question bank thread or the place in our forums where you can ask questions of guests, we had quite a bit of response. In fact, looking at the responses we got to the impending arrival of Ray Stanford, I would think we could probably just ask the questions and sit back and listen. Well, it did devolve into some conversations, but uh, yeah, there are some really good questions there. And Ray uh, was gracious enough to provide me with some very, very uh, compelling images of these discoidal artifacts uh, that may be up to 1,750 years old that have been found uh, in the Mississippian culture states of Ohio, um, Illinois, Indiana. And Ray has a very intriguing theory that uh, we're going to talk about today on the Paracast uh, concerning these objects and their obvious look of, of you know, high-tech flying saucers. I think this is really going to be interesting. He's done quite a bit of work over the years in researching these very enigmatic ar- artifacts and has one of the largest collections of them. Uh, in fact, he just got his latest addition to the collection yesterday, which is uh, just a just breathtaking uh, example of artistry. You know, I'm looking at the photos at forum.theparacast.com, and it's in the question bank and a thread called Ray Stanford Returns to the Paracast. I'm looking at some of these photos. Now, in the past, in one of the interviews we had, someone was suggesting that some of these anomalous objects from the past, well, it's just basically toys for kids. But I'll tell you, I'm looking at the stuff, these pictures that he has assembled here of these objects, and they sure don't look like toys to me. Yeah, they look like miniature versions of what people have been reporting for, uh, at least in the modern age of ufology, uh, just uh, you know, thousands of reports of objects that look almost identical, uh, or at the very least similar. But one thing that's very interesting is how these objects seem to be more detailed and more kind of modern looking the older they are. And as they devolve through the years, they actually, uh, as Ray will, will tell us, uh, turned into a game called Chunky, which then possibly was where we get the game bowling from. Would you be specific about what you're talking about? Because those of us who have no idea what this game is, would you maybe detail? uh, We'll let Ray kind of give us uh, his his research on this. And like I said, he has worked for many years uh, assembling these objects in his collection. And and he's been in touch with some of the folks that have have similar collections. And uh, this is really going to be an interesting show. It's going to be a fascinating show. It's going to come up. Before we basically go to Ray Stanford and talk to him further about his research and get to your questions, I want to mention one more thing from another UFO field old-timer named Jim Mosley. Current issue of Saucer Smear. That's this monthly newsletter he sends out for a love offering. And let me give you the address for it, Box 1709, Key West, Florida, 33041. He has a little article here about something called the Roswell Dream Team. Okay. Apparently, I'm not sure if I can handle this. It might be too full of Schmidt. <sighs> Haven't I heard that one before? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just as you said, Dr. Colonel Kevin Randall, Don Schmidt, Tom Carey have organized this group. But it's kind of interesting because... I didn't think that Randall and Schmidt and Carey got along. 
But I guess they basically have buried the hatchet. They're going to evaluate all over again the Roswell evidence. And supposedly, according to Mosley, Anthony Regalia has been recruited, conscripted, whatever, into this group. Well, duck and cover. And he's, you know, an unusual character. We might get him on the Paracast sometime. He's a good researcher, but uh, I he's do a, question some of his conclusions. Well, he concludes, for example, that the Sicara, New Mexico case involving the late Lonnie Zamora, that was a hoax perpetrated by college students with the help of a professor, I guess. Right. And Ray Stanford, who investigated the case with Alan Hynek, uh, was quite adamant that he doesn't know what he's talking about. Well, whatever. So we have Brigalia, Carrie, Schmidt, Randall. Sounds like the Marx Brothers personified here. Assembling to, as Jim says, re, re, re-evaluate all the evidence in this never-ending case. Well, now, hopefully this will be Roswell case closed finito. Or Roswell case closed episode 4000. 970 on the Paracast. <laughs> we will discuss that in the future, maybe. We have Ray Stanford with some fascinating new information to present, possibly about UFOs in ancient times. With Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. As you know, the Paracast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For our listeners, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service, such as Steve Jobs, the best-selling authorized biography from Walter Isaacson. For that free audiobook, go to audiblepodcast.com slash Paracast. That's audiblepodcast.com slash Paracast. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I had already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. Hi, Jason Lewis here. Anybody who's been listening to my program knows how shaky the U.S. economy is right now. Will we have a V-shaped recovery or will it be a W-shaped one where the nation slips back into recession? Of course, if you think that Washington can spend or inflate its way out of a downturn, you've got nothing to worry about. But as you know, I have my doubts. So let me tell you about gold. Now, as my friend Ted Anderson from Midas Resources likes to say, gold, like all commodity markets, fluctuates in price and you could lose money, but it has never been worth zero. Give it some thought. And if you're interested in converting your IRA to gold or would like to actually have it in your possession, call Midas Resources today at 1-800-686-2237. The U.S. dollar was once backed by gold, but has since lost 90% of its value. And if things don't change, I'm afraid the trend will continue. Call Midas Resources today at 1-800-686-2237 for gold and tell them Jason Lewis sent you. 
Did you know nuclear radiation is still spewing out of the melted-down reactors in Fukushima, Japan, and making its way across the entire U.S. continent, contaminating the air, water, and food? Dangerously high levels of radiation are a reality here. As a result, radiation poisoning is a distinct possibility for anyone living in the U.S., unless you do something to protect yourself. How? With Liquid Zeolite from RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Without a doubt, Liquid Zeolite is by far the best product to remove radiation from your body. It safely removes toxins and heavy metals, boosts energy levels, and promotes a strong immune system. Liquid Zeolite is so powerful it was used to clean up contamination in Chernobyl, yet so gentle you won't even know you're taking it. Liquid Zeolite comes with a money-back guarantee, but is only available at RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Learn how to get free bottles of Liquid Zeolite by calling 800-880-9976. That's 800-880-9976. Or go to RestoreYourHealthNow.com. That's RestoreYourHealthNow.com. If you don't want to be unprepared, BePrepared.com. BePrepared.com is the official site of emergency essentials, the 24-year leader in emergency preparedness. Why do they lead? Because of best value, best selection, and their low price guarantee. Take advantage of BePrepared.com's inventory reduction sale going on right now. Save up to 43% on food storage and emergency supplies. Up to 43%. For example, be prepared with freeze-dried peaches and strawberries, freeze-dried roast beef, 180 two-piece first aid kits, nine-meal MRE kits, a waterproof multifunction emergency LED flashlight for only $3.99 and much more. BePrepared.com while supplies last. But hurry, sale ends when inventory's gone. Call 800-999-1863. That's 800-999-1863. Or online at BePrepared.com. BePrepared.com. Best value, best selection, and low price guarantee. The choice is clear. Be unprepared or BePrepared.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And if you'd like to catch up on past episodes, we have hundreds of shows for you to download direct from theparacast.com. That's theparacast.com. Or check us out at iTunes. With Gene and Chris in the Paracast, we welcome back Ray Stanford, and he's been a longtime friend of our co-host Chris O'Brien, and therefore Chris has gracefully volunteered to pick up on this discussion and take us into some very fascinating areas we haven't covered fully on the Paracast before. Chris? Yeah, Ray, first of all, welcome back to the program, and congratulations on your recent inclusion into the Smithsonian Natural History Museum for your species of notosaur that you uh, discovered, the cast, that's now on permanent display at the Smithsonian. We haven't had a chance on the show to really talk about your paleontology work and uh, your dinosaur track work, but maybe we could save that for uh, another show. But I just want to uh, remind our listeners that Ray is a longtime friend and confidant and mentor to me, and uh, it's, it's a real pleasure to have you back on the show, Ray. Well, thanks, Chris. Uh, it's really fun to be here. Yeah, this is going to be good. One of the things that I want to thank you also for is uh, being gracious enough to send along some just very, very interesting compilations of images from these very, very enigmatic artifacts that you have been interested in uh, for many years. You do have a large collection of them. And uh, I think we're going to talk, uh, first of all, today about these objects. And then at the end of the show, uh, which is going to be a real treat, I think, for our Paracast audience, we're going to be getting your insight into 
your years of an analytical work with UFO films and photographs. Why don't you first start off by telling us about how you first became aware of these of these enigmatic artifacts from the Mississippian and Fort Ancient cultures here in America, and give us a little background on how you started your collection and some of the uh, the more interesting facts about the actual earliest objects uh, that we know of. Actually, I guess I was uh, drawn into into the artifacts, the archaeology. As a kid, when my father worked in the oil fields in South Texas and would bring home uh, lithic artifacts, uh, Indian areas, people would call them, from the fields. And, uh, of course, over the years, I got more and more fascinated and began to collect uh, first artifacts uh, from the uh, from North America and then eventually uh, South and Central America and, and also uh, all over the world. But it was not until about uh, 23, 24 years ago that uh, I uh, became interested in uh, what, what are called discoidals by the uh, – I prefer just the word discoid, but the collectors of artifacts call them discoidals. These are the pieces that were definitely used in the game called Chunky uh, that was being used when uh, done when the, played when the white man arrived in uh, – in uh, North America and encountered the Indians of the Mississippi culture that were, were doing this. Now, uh, in that interest, in the line of that interest, I had been uh, following uh, Indian artifact auctions, and I received a catalog back about uh, about 23 years ago in which uh, it showed pictures of each of the artifacts to be auctioned, and uh, one of them, when I, I saw it, having been into UFOs, uh, well, very actively since age 15, I, I really did a double take. Here was a picture, a picture of something that looked, a photograph of something that looked absolutely like the popular concept of a UFO, or at least uh, from what I knew about it, the thing had a dome and it had uh, spots around the, the rim, such as people had seen uh, glowing or emitting light around the rim of, of uh, reported so-called UFOs, and oh my gosh, uh, that thing's going up at auction, uh, but uh, despite being an Indian artifact collector, being interested in UFOs makes that even more desirable, so I called the auctioneer, <laughs> and I said, gee, can I buy this before the auction? He said, no, it's in the catalog, we can't do that, but he said, uh, uh, he said, you know, if you're serious, he said, um, uh, I've got another one, in fact, it's, it's right here in my desk drawer, he said, I... Uh, uh, these things came in. He said, I hadn't, uh, he had been in the field for years. He said, I hadn't seen, of course, the game discardals, but these, he said, I'd never seen anything like them. And uh, he said, well, uh, this one is, is just as good. And it's a, just a little larger than the one in the auction. And uh, it's out of the same old collection from Western Illinois, the Piedric collection. And I said, how old is that collection? And he said, well, Piedric was collecting in the, uh, at the end of the 19th century and into the early 20th century. And uh, I said, and these definitely came out of his collection. He said, there's no doubt his, his sticker is on, uh, on one of them, and, and we know that that's where it came from, uh, the earliest source we have on these discs. And, uh, and, and so, Ray, there's a, there's a verifiable evidence chain on where these objects came from, where they were found. Um, yes. So, so there's, a, there's a way for you to go back and ascertain the the history of these objects as uh, after, uh, from discovery until the present, correct? Uh, that's right. You know, the auctioneer said, well, Mr. Stanford, I don't know what you think of these or why you're interested in this particular type, except that they're odd. But he said, I had a friend in here yesterday, just yesterday, and he, he said, and I wanted to shock him. I pulled this thing out of my desk drawer, just set it on the desk without a word. And he said, damn, that's a flying saucer. <laughs> and uh, I said, well, 
what do you want for it? He told me what he wanted for it, and I sent him a check and uh, got it. And that was how I started collecting discards, beginning with the ones that happen to be the, the rarest and thus the most expensive and, the, and apparently are the oldest. Why don't you uh, go ahead and explain to our audience uh, the game Chunky that uh, the early explorers and settlers, when they came to, this, uh, to the New World, the Indians had already developed this particular game. Why don't you go ahead and describe the game for us and, and, and then dovetail that into the actual kind of de-evolution of these objects from the oldest ones to the ones that were around okay. when uh, Anglos first appeared? Okay. When the white man came, uh, the, this was the equivalent of football in, in North America to the Indians. It was all over the Midwest and down complete, all of our south down into even Florida. And uh, the way it was described, and it's, this can be found in the literature that was written uh, soon after the white man came, uh, and there is a carving uh, from the uh, Caduan culture of the southern United States that shows a, a late-phase chunky player and what he's doing, he's down on his knees, and he is rolling uh, with his right hand uh, an underhand roll of the discard. But according to the white uh, persons writing the accounts, uh, the game was very boring to them. <laughs> the Indians were wild about it. Uh, what happens is uh, the disc is rolled. Uh, actually, I don't remember which happens. There is a thing that's shaped like a long uh, spear, a smooth, straight spear with uh, – some of the accounts say pointed ends, that would be a throne. Well, the idea was when this object, this elongated thing that reminds me of the shape of a mothership as we have seen and, and filmed them many times, and others have seen them, and a few have filmed them, uh, it reminds me of a mothership. Well, this disc is supposed to roll along and end up as near as possible to where the, the so-called mothership has, has de facto landed on the ground. Uh, there was... Uh, Various people, of course, would be uh, uh, rolling the disc. The idea was that the one that got the one got the point for that section of the game, if their disc was nearest to what I will call, henceforward, uh, the mothership. That's in quotes because we don't know what it really represented. It's just what to me it looks like. And uh, I kind of suspicion because of these early discs that the people that have gone to the Paracast uh, website have seen. Uh, because of their resemblance to what we would call shuttle discoid UFOs, that uh, what happened was that early on, these were magical objects. I'll tell you uh, what, it's so magical, we've got to stop for this kind of magic. We're talking to Ray Stanford with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. When it comes to running a successful business, there are many things you have to get right. But one thing is often overlooked, and that's protecting the data that powers your business. Computers, servers, external hard drives, and even tape backups are vulnerable to failure. In the U.S. alone, over 140,000 hard drives fail each and every week. According to one study, only 7% of companies that lose their data centers for 10 days or more survive beyond the year. So I want to tell you about our friends at Mosey. The 
most trusted name in online backup. Give our friends at Mosey a call. They've been doing this for a long time and run the most secure, most trusted online backup service. Right now, you could save 15% by using the promo code PODCAST15. That's PODCAST15. Call 877-669-9776. That's 877-669-9776. Or visit moseypro.com. That's M-O-Z-Y pro.com. That's what it sounds like when a burglar kicks in the door of a dark house that looks like no one is home. Don't let your home be the next target. Make it look like someone is home watching television with Fake TV. Fake TV is a small electronic device that makes the same light as a real television. So from outside, it looks like someone is home watching TV. Fake TV plugs in just like a lamp on a timer, but is far more convincing to burglars. Fake TV deters burglars, costs far less than an alarm, and is highly recommended by numerous police departments. Use it anytime you're away from home. To order your Fake TV for only $34.95, go to faketv.com. Or call 1-877-5-FAKE-TV. Each additional fake TV is only $29.95. So get one for you and one for a loved one for safety, security, and peace of mind for both of you. Call 877-5-FAKE-TV or go to faketv.com. Faketv.com, the burglar deterrent. That's the sound of your door being kicked in by an intruder with a single kick. That's the sound of the same door now protected by the Door Sentinel at MySafeDoor.com. Go to MySafeDoor.com right now and watch the amazing video. At MySafeDoor.com, you'll learn how to turn your home into a fortress with the Door Sentinel. 16 kicks later, and the Door Sentinel is still holding strong. MySafeDoor.com. That's MySafeDoor.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. George Washington said, Government is not reason, it is not eloquence, it is force, like fire. It is a dangerous servant and a fearful master. America's government is no longer the servant of the people and the protector of our liberty, but has become that fearful master. We the people must understand the nature of this government gone awry if we are to be successful in saving our country. America is being deliberately destroyed by a cabal of international gangsters so that she can be forced into subjugation to a one-world government. The God-given, unalienable rights of the Declaration of Independence are in jeopardy. We must not let them be stolen by ambitious and evil men. Utopia Silver Supplements believes it is our God-given right to make our own health care decisions however we deem best. If we can help you with your supplement needs and better health, then help us win this health freedom battle. Visit us today at utopiasilver.com. That's U-T-O-P-I-A-Silver.com. Or call 888-213-4338. Again, 888-213-4338. Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned in to the Paracast. Let me tell you what. You're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? With Gene and Chris and Ray Stanford with some magical, mysterious information to present to you about ancient artifacts. Ray? Okay. Well, let me mention that the Mystic culture uh, goes back about as far as a thousand years from the present 
time. Uh, but uh, some of the discs, including the one that I show on the Paracast website with the seeming ladder images uh, on either side, that is earlier. That is uh, from the Fort Anction culture of Ohio. And the Fort Anction culture goes back about 1,750 years before the present time. Then at about the end of where we see the end of the Fort Ancient uh, material, uh, we begin to see the Mississippian and it uh, proliferated all up and down the, the Mississippi Valley. What I'm saying is that we do have disc-like images, even with seeming ladders suggesting a way in and out of an object, maybe hovering or, or supported by the ground in some way. We have these from way back in the Fort Ancient culture before the Mississippian culture. Then in the Mississippian culture, uh, the seeming earliest of these discs, based on their rarity and the proliferation of the game later, with modification across time of the disc, are these that you see that look just like our concept of shuttle-shaped like disc with, with domes. Let so me ask you a uh, fast question, sure. Ray, not to interrupt, yes, but this is one concern expressed by the critics when they see these artifacts. They say, you know what, they're just toys. Don't take them seriously. That's their blanket condemnation of at least some of these things. Okay, well, uh, I wouldn't think that any person in the ancient cultures, including the Mississippian culture, I mean, we didn't have all the spare time to watch TV and play around that we do now. If you know how hard hematite is and how hard it is to work, there are hundreds of hours of work that went into these items. I don't think hundreds of hours were spent by any Mississippian or Fort Ancient person in order to make a toy, a mere toy. Now, if you consider the chunky is using the game a toy, fine. Maybe uh, football is our, or soccer is our toy, or baseball, basketball is uh, is our toy game today. That's fine. It doesn't make any difference what you call it. It doesn't remove the fact that these objects exist and resemble the earliest phase, resemble nothing. We know the late phase, practical for rolling, some of them have kind of rounded edge, but the other have an edge shaped much like a court tire. Uh, it's possible that the first effigies were, in fact, effigies of things seen in the sky or even closer down to the ground, that they were replicated as the Indians were inclined to do as magical objects. We have the Hopi that have their concept of the Kachinas, when they made the Kachina dolls as a, a magical reference to our, our way of uh, being present with the uh, Kachinas. Uh, likewise, this could have been the way of the, uh, the Mississippian culture. I will mention one other interesting thing. Among the Mississippians, there was the legend uh, that uh, a similar legend up back among the Hopi uh, was of a, what they call spider grandmother, Gongeng Savuti. There was a similar legend among the Mississippians that uh, this creature represented inside of, uh, for example, a, a stone or shell disc. This spider had populated the sky with the Milky Way. But if we take the spider grandmother uh, legend, uh, look at it closely, we might wonder if some of this so-called angel's hair that has been apparently well documented in a few cases, uh, dropped out of uh, so-called UFOs, uh, might have been, in fact, the origin of the cosmic or sky uh, moving uh, cosmic grandmother, Dongyang uh, Sawuti. I'd forgotten that you had come up with that particular correlation. That, that kind of makes sense to me. Of course, angel hair is very difficult to obtain because it does tend to disappear uh, soon after it hits the ground uh, and even before it hits the ground. So, yeah, that, that would make sense. Uh, Spider-Woman, um, obviously, uh, you could make the, the leap that there is some connection, I guess, uh, in terms of their observations of potential angel hair. I could see why, that w that, why you would make that, uh, that, that jump. 
You know, before um, we go well, on, we should tell our listeners who aren't familiar with the concept of angel hair. We heard a lot of that in the early days of modern UFO research. Chris, give us an angel hair Reader's Digest summary, please. Well, angel hair is material that that has been seen coming out of UFOs after a flyover or they hover. Um, in my particular research, I've only had one case that this was supposedly seen, and it was in Taos in the, I think, mid-70s, where some of this material had uh, drifted down onto parked cars, and some was collected. I, I don't recall. I think there may have been uh, testing done. But, Ray, perhaps you could fill us in a little bit on this uh, in terms of the, the composition of this material and and uh, your knowledge about angel hair. Well, uh, off the top of my head, I can't recall chemical analysis might have been done. It, it's difficult because when this material falls, if you, and I, I, a big strand of it, about eight feet long and several inches across at the thickest places, fell down one time in Corpus Christi, uh, found, fell down right in front of me, and I grabbed it. But in a few seconds, it had seemingly effervesced into uh, the atmosphere. It was gone. The, uh, maybe my the heat of my body or electrical charge in my body or something uh, caused it to break up. Perhaps uh, it's been theorized that uh, these uh, these objects uh, have, and I, I'm sure they do, in fact, from my own work, have a magnetic field and plasma operative uh, in that field being moved by that field for certain types of propulsion and maneuvering effects. If that's the case, I think it's conceivable that they may actually generate this externally by electrifying certain compounds that will line up and form long-strand polymers in the atmosphere that all the same are fairly unstable, and when body heat contacts them, the components of the polymer simply break off and, and vaporize. Well, let's get back to uh, Spider-Woman and a correlation between the Hopi and uh, the Mississippi Valley cultures. Um, where... Where do we know that the game Chunky, how far can we can we actually trace the game Chunky back uh, based on archaeological evidence? Well, the, uh, of course, we know that uh, the, the more recent types are uh, accessible. Many of them have been found uh, in um, Illinois in the region of Cahokia, where the great, uh, the largest of the Indian mounds in North America uh, is located there still today. And, uh, uh, but there's no direct evidence, contrary to what one archaeologist published recently in Archaeology Magazine, there's no direct evidence that absolutely the game originated at Cahokia. Uh, I do know that uh, as far as the UFO-looking ones that uh, are probably the earliest, uh, they seem to have originated in somewhere in western Illinois, but not far enough south to be Cahokia. And uh, then we see, as we look for the modifications of that farm are found, they, they begin to take off the, the dome or domes, if there's one at the top and bottom, and they begin to remove the, the dots, which one can see in those images I sent, uh, around the edge. And uh, then they made them broader and broader and, and more and more curved rim. Uh, as we look at the map of distribution of these finds, we see that the earliest ones, the UFO-like ones, are right around a central part of western Illinois, and then they seem to migrate out, even as the game did. You see, the game became, as the Cahokian culture uh, really, uh, people really took over and became a very powerful and widespread empire, let's call it, uh, the game spread. In fact, the, the article in Archaeology magazine within the last year or so uh, 
suggested that this may have been part of the way that the Cahokians did take over other territory. They got them involved with the game and in competitions, and the people began to know each other, and eventually there came a spread not only of the culture of the game, but the culture of Cahokia per se. But Maybe they were gamblers. Maybe maybe they were putting up their mound against uh, your mound. Well, indeed they were. Uh, The white man, as I said, Chris, the white man uh, found this game quite boring, but the Indians would play it rounds of it all day long, and they would, uh, if if, uh, if the game players weren't working up a sweat, the people watching were because they were going crazy betting. I mean, the Indians were betting. It, it is said that they would bet everything they owned down to their loincloth, and that as to the results of the game, some people supposedly, it is rumored, even bet their lives on, on the outcome. So uh, we can't. Well, I, can, uh, I can hear it now. The, I can hear uh, <laughs> uh, some lady in a. In a in a Indian uh, wiki up or a wigwam or a teepee, saying, "Swift deer, you've been out there all day with those guys. You get in here right now and start skinning this deer." <laughs> yep. Well, gambling never changes, I guess, in our society. Maybe we do need ET to take care of us. But seriously, Ray Stanford joins us. You're with Gene. You're with Chris. You're in the Paracast. <laughs> Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Are you ready to order the official Paracast t-shirt? You asked, we answered. We're now taking orders for the official Paracast t-shirt. It comes in white, 100% cotton. The front of it features the same logo that we have on our community forums. On the back it says, separating signal from noise. To order the official Paracast t-shirt, here's all you have to do. Visit our new online store at store.theparacast.com. One more time, that's store.theparacast.com. You can use a major credit card to place your order for the official Paracast t-shirt. Hey, neighbors, we have one more thing to talk about, and that's more merchandise at the official Paracast store. We have hats, we have jackets, we even have a flip video camcorder customized with the Paracast logo at the official Paracast store. It's all now available at the official Paracast store, store store.theparacast.com. Did you know that how well your brain works is directly dependent upon how well your gut works? Did you know that an inflamed or compromised digestive system directly contributes to poor focus, depression, irritability, attention deficit, and hyperactivity? By eliminating the inflammation in your intestines and by having good bacteria populations, you may enjoy better brain function. The most important protein your body needs to keep inflammation down is glutathione. The number one food to support a dramatic increase in glutathione production is undamaged whey protein from grass-fed cows. Virtually all whey proteins are damaged by heat, filtration, and chemicals, except one. One World Whey is the most life-giving whey protein on the market. It is changing the lives of its users in very positive ways. One World Whey may act as one of the most important health foods to support your and your child's optimal brain function. Call 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325. Or visit OneWorldWay.com. That's OneWorldWhey.com. 
We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years and serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light System today, complete with two black Berkey elements for only $231, and the Berkey Guy will ship your order free of charge. With the purchase of a Berkey Light, the Berkey Guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only $39.99. That's over 30% off the retail price. Call the Berkey Guy at 1-877-886-3653. That's 1-877-886-3653. Or order online at GoBerkey.com. That's GoBerkey.com today. Don't answer it. If fear strikes your heart when the phone rings, knowing it may be another bill collector, it's time for you to call Zero Dead in 90 Days, 800-477-9256. Settlements, bankruptcy, and attorneys are not the answer and may end up costing you up to 10 times more than necessary. Listen, if you're already in debt, does it make sense to get buried in another payment plan? Zero Debt in 90 Days gets you out of debt in 90 days guaranteed without a payment plan and without attorneys or going to court. Get the fastest relief from debt on the planet when you call 800-477-9256. If you have debt with the IRS, credit cards, student loans, or a foreclosure, we can help at Zero Debt in 90 Days, and we are the only organization to provide written guarantees on the results. Go to ZeroDebtGuarantee.com. That's ZeroDebtGuarantee.com. Or call now for free information, 800-477-9256. That's 800-477-9256. Hi, this is Clifford Cliff, the International Director for the Mutual UFO Network. You are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. We're back on the Paracast with Gene and Chris exploring the past, maybe gambling in ancient times with Ray Stanford. This is just really fascinating, taking us to areas we haven't covered in previous episodes. Chris, you want to move the questions forward? Yeah. Um, Ray, you mentioned to me last week when we first kind of had the idea of of addressing this subject on the Paracast that um, you saw an article at uh, UFO Iconoclast online. Uh, I think a Rich Reynolds. Uh, I'm not sure if Rich was the one that wrote it, but why don't you describe your, your feelings of his his uh, his article stating that we have no direct evidence that uh, ancient cultures had any sort of knowledge about UFOs um, in well, their Well, my reaction to that article, which was signed RR, uh, which I would presume is Rich Reynolds, my reaction to it was that it was as laughable as his totally unfounded claim that what landed at Socorro and took off silently after, after a roar to get 20 feet above the ground and became hypersonic in very short time was a huge... Uh, Black Project research craft is totally unfounded, and uh, his claim that we have no evidence from ancient cultures that there was any interaction, interface with uh, alien cultures, uh, we have to keep in mind that uh, the figured speech we use as people that believe in this almost religiously will insist, well, as extraterrestrial visitors, well, they didn't have those terms. They had to use other terms for whatever they, uh, however they encountered it, I think some pretty good terms were used, a wheel within a wheel, a pillar of fire, 
by the way, the Greeks, uh, someone asked uh, about the the Greek, uh, I think it was the Poltervers, uh one of your new members uh, asked about, uh, did these look like the ones the Greeks used? And I did some research on that, and indeed they do, except speaking generally, the ones the Greeks threw were were narrower. They were flatter. The disc was flatter. They had rather sharp edges and were flatter. Well, of course, the first... Uh, Mississippian discs uh, have uh, sharp edges and are flatter uh, than the later ones. Uh, I mean, whatever the Greeks meant by this, uh, let us consider its possibility. The Greeks had a lot of uh, talk about gods, and uh, uh, when we see the person throwing this disc, is it actually a terrestrial game uh, devised after an idea that some cosmic God was throwing discoidal things that they were seeing in the sky. I don't have uh, literature evidence of that that I can quote, but I think it's not uh, not a totally unreasonable uh, speculation. Uh, and re- Chris, regarding questions, Jack uh, Potiphar uh, wrote in some very good ones. Could I address some of these? Let's go to the question bank here. Uh, do you have them in front of I've you? Got them, I've got them up right in front of me. Uh-huh. And, uh, okay, well, has, uh, uh, this will be a paracast first. Our guest uh, asking the questions, <laughs> being up to speed enough to be online and uh, ask the question. So uh, ask and answer, Ray. Okay. I answered the, his first one about the Greek, and he said, if not, do you see a connection to the He says, really, just subjective question mark, observation that the American continent seems somewhat popular with UFOs. Well, uh, I would say that apparently all continents seem somewhat popular with UFOs. I don't think that uh, the demographics of uh, UFO reports would uh, justify that uh, America is more uh, visited than other places. We even have, considering the very few people that are down in Antarctica, we have some wonderful reports from uh, from very uh, scientific and in other cases military sources down in Antarctica. So I think they're generally all over. I don't think it would have anything to do with uh, America being unique. His third question was, are there any Native American stories or legends about the discards, how they originated, especially why they were shaped like this? And uh, he says, with the dome and the pearls. Keep in mind, the Mississippians had no written language. And uh, what they had, of course, was... Uh, simply uh, legends passed down by by word of mouth. And uh, we don't know. Uh, I was thinking about this question this morning, and uh, it occurred to me that uh, it's possible. You know, when the white man came, they they watched the Indian do this, and they thought, well, just a game. I don't think there was – there's no written account that they questioned the Indians about an origin of it. But if they had and if – keep in mind the Mississippian culture uh, began as much as about a 1,000 years ago. Uh, We're not – even we can't be sure that the actual original source of the the disc and how it changed into a very popular game, extremely popular for the white man came, uh, would have been the original ideas would have been passed forward as to what they represented. They may well have been, but it might be as difficult for an Indian to want to talk to uh, a white man about the sacred origins of a game as it might be for a Roman Catholic priest to want to uh, administer communion to someone who had not uh, uh, taken the catechism. It it may have been uh, verboten. Now, he asked another good one. He says, do you find any traditions that talked about Chenki and his origin? No, that's that's basically the same question that I answered. No, they don't. Now, he wanted to know, does the use of materials like magnetite and pearls, and at least some of these artifacts imply they might have been used as magical or sacred? Well, I think indeed... uh, they uh, do. He added, are that they were made in the image of something that was perceived as being magical. Certainly, even by our technological and aircraft standards today, things that are attributed or described in UFO cases appear magical even to us. So certainly they would have to them then, 
And uh, if indeed these were effigies made for magical purposes of what they saw, uh, then I think that's not an unreasonable speculation, and it is my speculation about this. He said, did I ever watch the game of Chunky? My answer to that is not unless I was an Indian of the Mississippian culture in a past life. But uh, it ended with the white man. They they wanted more e- exciting games. The white man did pick up one of the Indian games, but it, it, it was not this one. He asked, though, uh, are the discards thrown or spun through the air, or are they rolled on the ground? When the white man came, they were being rolled on the ground, and the uh, evidence is uh, going back and looking at the different discs suggests that they've been rolled on the ground for a long time. Whether the first ones were thrown or not, all I can say is that my, my two from the Piedrit collection – uh, that old, old collection have no dents around the edge to suggest they were either thrown or a road. But when we get to the bigger one from uh, found just outside of Miami, Illinois, in central Illinois, uh, we do see quite a bit of uh, ancient edge damage. And this suggests that uh, they were either uh, throwing it or rolling on the ground. It might have been some, you know, real hard with some rocks or something in it. But uh, later on, as they rounded the edge more, and made it, in fact, flatter. Uh, of course, there would be less tendency to get any damage as it was rolled along the ground because you're distributing the contact with hard uh, surface areas uh, across a, a wider um, area. Now, there was one other. Well, he said, before, uh, yeah, before we get yeah. get too far uh, away from the question about hematite, one thing that we haven't really uh, addressed yet is uh, the actual uh, composition of the material that uh, that these objects. Um, you know, they've been found made out of. And the earlier ones are made out of hematite, and you have a theory about that that you told me. Uh, well, uh, I, I don't know which theory you're referring to. I have <laughs> several theories. Are you talking about I, rem- the- I remember you sent me a map of a oh, meteorite okay. fall in, in, in the you. area where these things were first found. Okay. This is what it was. I sent Chris a map that showed the locations of... Uh, finds of the uh, the UFO-like disk and the Salt River disk, which are the subsequent derivation they're from, I believe. And it also showed, I pointed out, two locations of ancient impact structures. Now, these were far before the times of the Indians. And uh, in Illinois, there was also, of course, a spectacular one that's right adjacent to, to the northeast and north of uh, the famous Serpent Mound in Ohio. And uh, I, I was merely speculating and asking whether perhaps in an early geological survey of uh, terrestrial things that these UFOs might have been seen by the Indians because it, it's, uh, if they were doing a gravitational survey of the surface of the map, for example, and in some cases even a magnetic survey, they would quickly pick up anomalies associated with the impact structures. That's been one of my areas of study is, is meteorites and uh, impact uh, effects and structures. And uh, if they were studying that, then, of course, the Indians might have seen them doing so, but that's pure speculation. We don't know what they actually were doing here. I just thought it was interesting that there's such a concentration, in fact, of others that I haven't mentioned of impact structures. If you look at the map of structures of the United States, the greatest majority of them is centered in the regions where the Mississippian and the uh, uh, Fort Anchin cultures uh, were located. Chris? This is the, uh, the early disks are made of hematite, but obviously they have some magnetite because they're, they have various degrees of magnetism, some of them fairly strong. Every one of the hematite discards I've collected have that magnetic property. I don't, people wonder, well, did the Indians, if they somehow knew that the, the UFOs were magnetic, uh, did they liberally make these out of a magnetic material? Uh, I, don't, uh, I don't know. I don't think so. I think it'd be more likely that they thought the hematite 
particularly the more metallic-looking varieties of hematite, uh, looked like what they saw on or adjacent to the surface of uh, of the UFOs, uh, I think that's more reasonable than presuming that they made them out of that because they thought the objects were magnetic. If you have a comment or a question about the Paracast, why don't you send us a note, news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com, or give us a tweet at theparacast on Twitter, at theparacast. We have Ray Stanford. You're talking to Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Hi, Ted Anderson announcing a great way to listen to radio on the telephone. By calling 760-569-7700, you'll be hearing GCNlive.com programs in seconds. Come to GCNlive.com, find your favorite host's dedicated phone number, and hear them 24-7. You heard me right, every show has a dedicated phone number. Stop by GCNlive.com and bookmark their number today. And again, that's 760-569-7700. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We're having one of our funny network issues with Chris as we continue our discussion with Ray Stanford. Chris is kind of sounding a little hollow there, and hopefully in a few minutes things will kind of clear up and improve. Can you hear me now? Yes, you sound like the Verizon man. Can you hear me now? Good. Oh, I'm sorry about that. These uh, things do tend to happen occasionally, Ray. You'll have to forgive us. Uh, Modern technology sometimes is not all it's cracked up to be. We need to crack the ET mystery open and get them to help us. There we go. Okay, now as we broke, Ray Stanford was busy looking at the questions you listeners have posted at forum.theparacast.com. We have a special board called the Question Bank, and we always open up a topic or thread for guests when we have enough fair warning. This time we did. And, Ray, before we broke for our previous break, you were in the middle of answering some of the listener questions. You want to move on? Yes. Uh, well, one of the uh, listeners, hopefully, uh, had posted, he said, am I not just check, cherry-picking, picking the desks that look most like UFOs? And he entered a uh, posted a, a photograph of two uh cultural source UFO-like things, or disc-shaped anyway, not UFO-like necessarily. But uh, actually, the the two that he posted were from the Fort Anction culture, which is the older one, uh, up to 1,750 years old, and the Mississippian culture, which is only 1,000 and less years old. And it, it's not a question of cherry-picking. I was asked by Chris that he said he would love for me to do a thing on these discs, and what I uh, then did, I picked out the ones that 
look most like UFOs and the ones just following the salt rivers and posted them, realizing that a that if I posted my whole collection of 30-some-odd discs, we would probably uh, take up a lot of space that you wouldn't want taken up. Uh, now, also, but, if you're looking for anomalies, they have to be the exceptions. So right, it's yeah, not like I'm right. cherry-picking anomalies. Well, in the case of a UFO sighting, there may be, as Mufon said, 6,000 UFO cases in all of 2011 that came to them. But of those cases, maybe 80 or 90% are conventional objects or phenomena. The mystery exists with the exceptions. So in this case, Ray, the mystery exists with the exceptions that you found. Yes, and there, by, I should mention, however, Gene, that there is a continuum. That is to say, uh, as you lay these out in front of you, uh, and you see these uh, rarest of the rare of the UFO, then you see, for example, now right now I'm just clicking on it so that I'm telling the truth. I'm looking uh, now in, in my uh, picture file, and I'm looking at one that uh, we didn't get to post on there. But this one has, they've eliminated the domes and put a little cup in the middle, a small cup in the middle for the index finger and the thumb, so they can roll it underhand easily. And it's retained eight, the eight spots that I call uh, likely representations of emitters, devices that electrify the air for magnetic propulsion. But on the other side, they have none of these. It's a beautifully patinated disc that I just missed recently getting into my own collection. Someone else has now. But uh, it is an nice example of uh, what in evolutionary terms we'd call a missing link. We do in fact have the links all along now and can show the gradual transition from the rarest to the most common and the more they become modified from the original disc, the more you're likely to find the types and that curve of design change uh, coincides with the curve of popularity of the game across from uh, the uh, at least the Mississippians uh, first period all the way up to the coming of the white man so it's not surprising and it is totally reasonable to presume that the rarest are the ones that were earliest and they were modified because the game obviously even as our own game rules have been modified was modified across time too just look at the game football American football it was uh, kind of uh, evolved out of the round soccer ball that it kind of morphed into an elongated rugby ball and then the early uh, 20s and 30s when American football was devised the ball was uh, seemed to be wider and, and not as long now it's more streamlined because the game has evolved into more of a passing game so in that short period we see an evolution of a of a uh, game and a game piece if you will so it stands to reason that you would see that in in a game uh, like Chunky. So you want to continue on there, Ray, and uh, address okay, some of yes. the other questions? Uh, well, uh, let me let me get back to where that was. Hold on, let me see if I can. Uh, here, here we go. Uh, there was uh, all right. Now uh, let me. I'm, I'm just looking. Hold on. Uh, uh, now uh, I wanted to comment on something that uh, that Angelo uh, said, and and uh, he, he he said when someone was posting pictures of. Uh, say, Renaissance paintings that have things in the sky that look like our concept of UFOs. Uh, he said, but these were representations of God. This may well be, but the question we have to ask ourselves is, where did the artist get the concept of what God in the sky communicating something down to people below looked like? Is it possible that, in fact, uh, people were seeing things, believed that they were a manifestation of God or the gods in some cases, and... Uh, we're uh, communicating with beams or whatever downward. Uh, we simply don't not know. We cannot just put a question mark there and say because there's a question mark, 
uh, it can only be taken to represent God because the artists are very talented and they're very specific. And I'd swear that some of those in the paintings look, uh, uh, in fact, they're, they're just as good as we might expect uh, from the best UFO photograph today. One uh, that uh, was posted has coherent light coming down in a thin, a thin beam, uh, which it seems a little bit odd because at the time uh, they didn't have a, a way to, you know, to beam coherent light as in a laser, which doesn't spread out over distance. So, I mean, that fact alone, I think, is very, very suggestive. Yeah, the, the collimated beam, yeah, it's a very interesting concept. Uh, if it was just concept or if it was actually having seen, certainly you can imagine that anyone seeing a collimated beam would be uh, quite impressed. Uh, I would mention that now a laser beam of low intensity, uh, of course, is not very visible unless you have moisture in the air to scatter it because it is coherent. It's all traveling along the beam, but as you get to the higher energy beams that uh, you get some energy pumping into the atmosphere, uh, you can actually uh, see a glowing column. And uh, we don't know for sure yet, although we filmed quite a few examples of it, uh, exactly how these beams are created, but we're beginning to get some good ideas from you know, from the hard data work that I'm doing. Uh, are we too early, Chris, to translate into some of the questions people ask, in fact, uh, about uh, our laser, the project we were using, and bouncing it off a UFO uh, because the subject had been, uh, in fact, brought up by Voyager. No, I, I think it's a, it's a good place to go, absolutely. Okay. Now, maybe well, backdrop here. We really need to look at the background here. Explain to our listeners who do not visit the forums, and you should, forum.theparacast.com, what we are talking about here. Okay. Now, if they were to go back in the forum to several years ago, a couple of years ago or so, when I was last on, I had provided, and it is still available, Chris tells me, a, a what I call a slide, a photo montage of uh, the actual laser strike where you can see, I have a picture at the lower left of the the unit we were using to uh, to generate the laser, and uh, and you can see where it was when at one point, and then you can see where it was swept up and stopped at another point, and in the sweep, it catches the UFO in the beam. I should point out that uh, we never did fire that laser at uh, anything that we thought might be a conventional aircraft. Uh, in fact, before I ever tried to hit this object with a laser, I called the Bergstrom Air Force Base just outside of Austin at that time and uh, I talked to their command post who knew me and uh, they confirmed that they had the object on radar but had no idea what it was. They said it's unidentified. As far as we're concerned, we don't have any idea what that is out there. It was at that time, it hovered for, or hovered or slowly approached us during part of that time for about 10 minutes, and then it, it changed its direction. During that 10 minutes, I had called them and uh, gotten that information. So after it began to move off, I went to what we call the UFO vector unit and uh, uh, succeeded in uh, striking the uh, object with the laser it was, as it was moving at a rather high speed from west to east. Now, someone asked, well, in those days, you know, lasers were pretty hard to get a hold of. Uh, what in the world were you using? Well, what we were using was, uh, was custom uh, made for us by a major laser corporation, at least at that time, its name was Lyconics. I'll tell you what, before we get to Lyconics and what it means and why it's there, Ray Stan for joining us with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. 
the site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. For 58 years, Fate has provided true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate brings you the latest in all aspects of the paranormal, like angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. To receive your complimentary Fate magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. Gold isn't for you? Ted Anderson, president of Midas Resources, one of the world's premier gold and precious metal investing firms. I get it. You wouldn't buy gold if you believed that the government is doing a great job, that the Fed will stop handing out trillions of dollars like bailout candy, that Social Security would be there for you. That's not what's happening. You might even pass on gold if the stimulus package wouldn't fuel inflation, or that the dollar wouldn't lose value, or that your retirement would be secure. If all looks rosy to you, then now is not the time to buy gold. For the realists, there have never been more sobering reasons to diversify with gold. Since 2001, the U.S. dollar index has tanked 30% while gold has risen 300%. Right now, savvy investors are adding gold to their portfolios. You should, too. Find out what they know. Call us and I'll send you 10 reasons why gold will do very well, free. 800-686-2237. 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Digestive health is the key to wellness and elimination of toxins. That bears repeating. Digestive health is the key to wellness and elimination of toxins. And Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse is the key to digestive health. Pro-EM-1 is a powerful liquid probiotic, strong enough to cleanse, gentle enough to use every day. Pro-EM-1 is dairy, wheat, and soy-free, contains all natural and certified organic ingredients, contains no preservatives or animal products, supports a healthy digestive and immune system, supports weight loss, improves absorption of food nutrients, aids in controlling yeast infections, is never freeze-dried, and uses three groups of live, viable, beneficial microbes to cleanse and remove toxins. Order Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse at Terraganics.com, spelled T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com, Terraganics.com. Or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Pro-EM-1, the raw probiotic. Hi, I'm Mark Craighead, founder of Crossbreed Holsters. I designed our top-selling holster, the Super Tuck Deluxe, to solve the problems of being poked, pinched, and gouged while carrying concealed. The Super Tuck Deluxe is the most comfortable, most concealable holster on the market today. We offer a two-week free trial and a lifetime warranty. Visit us at CrossbreedHolsters.com. Don't forget, CrossbreedHolsters.com. In a coming-apart world, you need something to keep it tied together. That something is Atwood Rope, the highest quality rope made in the USA from exotic braids for military, rescue, arborists, shipyards, tow line, or boating. Quality rope at affordable prices you and your customers can depend on. Find a dealer or shop online at atwoodrope.net. Enter promo code RADIO to receive 100 feet of 550 paracord free with purchase. Atwood Rope, working to keep the world tied together. 
We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And if you'd like to catch up on past episodes, we have hundreds of shows for you to download direct from theparacast.com. That's theparacast.com. Or check us out at iTunes. With Gene and Chris, you're on the Paracast. We're talking to Ray Stanford, longtime veteran UFO researcher and scientist. We are exploring a lot of issues about ancient history, UFO research, etc. Most important, we're answering your questions. Many of you have posted questions at forum.theparacast.com, forum.theparacast.com. A lot of rich material there that we're exploring one by one. And we mentioned, of course, Angelo's questions. Remember, Angelo is one of our moderators. He's a bit of a skeptic. Let's point that out. But he's very interested in what's going on. Ray, you want to pick up where you left off, or should we move on yeah, to another uh, question? So let me mention, uh, this This laser uh, was n- no ordinary laser at all, in fact. Uh, back in those days, we were one of the very few in the world that had a video-modulated laser. Now, the laser was used in, com- in parallel with a television camera and a 2,110-millimeter focal-length catadioptric uh, telescope with a photomultiplier on the back of it. That was so that it was designed primarily to test whether the laser beam would be bent by some field effect of the object because there had been some preliminary evidence suggesting this. Uh, but it also, in case, which we would believe that they've been here as long as they seem to have been, uh, decode, if they could decode our television signals and see them, it also carried uh, a television program that was designed to communicate with them should they be able to pick it up. This video modulated laser, as I said, it wasn't anything you pick up off the shelf back then. In, in 1973, uh, it cost our corporation $11,000. I, I checked just before the, we went on the air, and uh, the change in monetary value then, if our economic system existed back then, what we would have paid for it was uh, $49,000. It was a very expensive unit, but very important to our purposes. We also tested it by communicating to a, a helicopter that had a receiving unit uh, in it, so we know it was capable of getting a message across great distances, but uh, the object that we struck and the photograph proves it uh, did not stop and uh, answer our inquiries and uh, in case they did however <laughs> we were wearing white jumpsuits and uh, green uh, goggles that would block the the intense long wavelength red of the helium neon laser uh, just in case their answer were a little more powerful than ours um, well ray we're talking about project starlight which was your uh effort uh, back in the early 70s to gain hard data scientific data from UFO uh, events. Why don't you describe what Project Starlight was for our listeners who are not familiar with it? And okay, um, let me, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Oh, let me first stress that uh, the name, the, the official name back then was Project Starlight International, and it should not either, as intent, purpose, or philosophical outlook on life or reality, uh, be mistaken for the so-called Johnny Come Lately, in my opinion, copycat name. Uh, Project Starlight of uh, uh, of a certain well-known person who, for certain fees, will take you. You, you can say the name Stephen Greer. <laughs> Stephen Greer, <laughs> and uh, and he doesn't uh, like us anyway. There's no hope for Stephen Greer. Excuse me, Ray. Uh, Stephen Greer is not a problem here because he hates us anyway. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I guarantee you, there's no there's no affinity here with uh, 
with what he's doing or the fact that he grabbed our name. He thought we were out of the way. Actually, we went underground. We were getting such good stuff and uh, resurfaced. The name we use now, so we're not mistaken for him, is Organization for Physical UFO Science. You can think of it by remembering the, the word, the Latin word for work, opus, and uh, it abbreviates Organization for Physical UFO Science. And uh, what we were doing, Chris, back then, I had, uh, back in my very early days uh, uh, of, of actual in-the-field UFO research, uh, I had uh, naively gotten taken in by the contactee claims of George Adamski, which later when he uh, revealed to me how he faked his photographs and that, that he never had any physical contact with uh, alien beings, I uh, changed my mind. I decided, hey, Ray, you got to get into something that means something to science. In my uh, high school days, I had planned on becoming a a rocket engineer and uh, had launched some of the largest rockets ever launched by uh, amateurs in that time period, which I have pictures and show in my presentation on UFOs to give my background. But I, after some close encounters with UFOs, uh, and after Adamski telling us this, I decided to steer clear of all these claims about space brothers and telepathic messages and try to get something that uh, will communicate to uh, the real world of science uh, rather than just with those who have a desire to believe something about alien visitors. And as a result, uh, in 1964, after investigating the Sakura case and being very impressed, I began to try to uh, uh, build up a way of, of photographing and, and tracking UFOs with uh, optical and electronic instruments. My approach initially in Arizona, beginning in 1964 to 1967, November, was quite naive. Uh, I was uh, unfortunately influenced by the uh, advocacy of Kenneth, I'm sorry, of uh, uh, Don Kehoe, the well-known UFO writer, uh, in his proposal that uh, that someone set up a mock UFO lighting on the ground that looked like a UFO in order to convince UFOs that maybe one of their craft was disabled and maybe they'd come down and you could get good uh, uh, images or film or something. Well, that puts an all that puts, in my opinion, any whoever whatever intelligence is behind these things seems to be very intelligent and it puts it down to a naively, ridiculously uh, dumb level that they would think an artifact on the ground of lights was something of theirs. I think they probably know where their their craft, uh, wherever they come from, are located when they're in the vicinity of the Earth. Well, we did this, though, and we did this for uh, 64, uh, from the beginning of the summer, 64 through November of uh, uh, 67. It's, it's kind of uh, like uh, duck hunting, right, Ray, where you get your duck uh, decoys out and then well, it, hope, hope it, it, the geese or ducks will right. land. Right. Yeah, that's right. And uh, But we decided uh, to instead, after I got to Texas, I decided to – well, I, I still held on to the idea partly. Uh, what we did outside of Austin in 73 when I began to get funding, we built a huge – we'd done this earlier at Pike Creek, Texas, and we did have a UFO show up. And uh, it uh, apparently flashed – interestingly, I won't get into the details to, to take time on that – but it flashed what apparently was what – mathematically you would call inverse pi we were flashing a mathematical code of pi and uh, it apparently flashed inverse pi for whatever that might or might not mean anyway we didn't get any any pictures that night but once we moved to austin and we had headquarters in town but that should not be mistaken for our uh, headquarters eventually with two lab buildings that was uh, way out northwest of town, out beyond the end of Highway 2222 and Valenti Road uh, in the hill country, where we had a 400-acre site. And uh, 
at the heyday of it, we had uh, the two lab buildings. One was for electronic equipment. The other was for optical equipment. And we had uh, radar. But, uh, it was either, I forget, a 30 or a 60 mile radius radar that was licensed with the uh, uh, people you license these things with. And uh, we had... Uh, we had, of course, the laser system I mentioned. We had to prove to the state of Texas uh, satisfaction that we could uh, n- that we would not mistake a conventional aircraft for uh, a UFO uh, as being a UFO, and therefore possibly knock pilots, uh, you know, hurt their vision by uh, the laser. I'll and tell you what. We'll get into more lasers and his studies and all the work that Ray Stanford has done. You're with Gene and Chris. You're in Paracast. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack Attack. of the Rockoids. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack Attack. of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack, attack of the Rockwell, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Listeners, it's Jason Lewis, and now that the holidays have come and gone, it's time to get serious about our New Year's resolutions. For 2012, resolve to protect your most valuable asset, your family. Daily, we hear about all the crazy stuff happening around the world, unemployment, food shortages, natural disasters, just to name a few. For my preparation, I recommend WiseFoodStorage.com. WiseFoodStorage.com offers delicious ready-made meals like cheesy lasagna and savory stroganoff that are packaged for freshness in individual metal mylar pouches and carry a 25-year shelf life. Visit wisefoodstorage.com today to request a free entree sample. And for a limited time, enter the promo code LEWIS to get no-cost shipping on any order. That's wisefoodstorage.com or call 855-FOODWISE. That's 855-366-3947 and enter promo code LEWIS for a free sample and free shipping on any order. Peace of mind, the greatest gift you can give to the ones you love. Ready to save while getting prepared? Then you're ready for the winter sale at 21stCenturyGoods.com. Take advantage of the incredible savings on all items at 21stCenturyGoods.com. Portable AM, FM, and shortwave radios from 1995. American Red Cross emergency radios and Cato radios from 2895. Solar lanterns from 2295. Solar flashlights, two for 1695. Hand crank LED hurricane lanterns and flashlights from 895. Be sure to check out the flexible solar panels to power your emergency and survival gear. Every order over $75 will receive a solar-powered flashlight absolutely free. So get prepared this winter by visiting 21stCenturyGoods.com. Spelled the number 2, the number 1, S-T, CenturyGoods.com, 21stCenturyGoods.com. Or call 866-999-8422. That's 866-999-8422. 21stCenturyGoods.com. Power up your survival. 
Introducing a Diabetes Breakthrough, an easy, natural, organic way to bring relief to diabetics. Introducing MDS Forte, a concentrated super strength extract formulated for those who are looking for relief. What can MDS Forte do for you? MDS Forte reduces glucose levels safely and effectively, reduces cholesterol and triglyceride levels, increases HDL or good cholesterol while reducing LDL or bad cholesterol. MDS Forte reduces A1C, improves eyesight and circulation to the limbs, and helps with weight loss. Is non-toxic, caffeine-free, 100% natural, 100% organic, and comes with a 100% money back guarantee waiting for the side effects disclaimers with mds forte there are none order a 25-day treatment of mds forte by calling 213-405-5355 213-405-5355 or visit bestbloodsupport.com that's bestbloodsupport.com for mds forte a diabetes breakthrough This is Jim Mosley, editor of Saucer Smear, and I'm here to say a good word or two about the Paracast, which I believe is the gold standard of paranormal radio. Listen to it if you can. With Gene, with Chris, the Paracast is here, and we continue with Ray Stanford telling us about setting up this laser test and trying to, I guess, communicate with E.T., right? Well, yes, that was the piggyback on the experiment of light bin. Now, the idea with the light bin was uh, the television was pointed directly the same way as the laser. But if we should uh, be filming a UFO up there in the sky that we have it, if we move the, the laser and the telescope and the video camera pointing as we move it nearer to the object, if suddenly it should be reflected off the object when it's not actually pointing at it, then we would have evidence of light bend, and we could also easily calculate the angle and uh, some of the parameters is affected with whatever force uh, or field effect uh, has caused this. We got that idea from the famous 16-millimeter uh, movie that was taken in, uh, in Ohio back in 1949 when a certain church was having a, a carnival, and they had the big spotlight, uh, carbon arc spotlight beam, and a UFO came and was playing around up there, and, and uh, uh, they decided to try to hit the object with the spotlight beam. What is interesting is that I have a, a copy of one of the film frames in which the, you see the big old beam because the light scattered. There was quite a bit of motion in the air that night. You see the beam go up, and it's, it's missing the UFO by, oh, I would guess maybe uh, seven degrees or so, at least five degrees, but all of a sudden when it gets within a certain radius of the so-called UFO, it sharply bends and hits the UFO and reflects off of it. So it strongly suggests, and there you have probably the first instrumented evidence of a UFO effect bending light, and that's why we used the laser system in the, the, the bend experiment, but we wanted the piggyback capability of seeing if we could possibly communicate with them, which would have been well worthwhile, but uh, it proved futile. Eventually, as we got the sophisticated equipment, the recording gravimeter, recording magnetometer, we quit using the, the light circle that we had there that was electronically sequenced because it was creating a magnetic noise that was being picked up by the magnetometer, and uh, we certainly don't want to introduce noise into any system where we're recording uh, important physical parameters of UFO um, operation. Let me ask you a question here. When you got this inverse feedback or whatever to your transmissions, did the UFO do any physical change in maneuvering or yes. just 
Yeah, no, sense? it stopped. It stopped overhead temporarily and did this, and then it moved on, stopped again, and then moved on to the uh, northwest, if I remember correctly. But it, it, it looked to be very high up. It was the, as pure white as you could possibly see. It was a very intense light that was being emitted from it. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't anything like the relatively low intensity of satellite. And of course, it wasn't a satellite, wasn't on a satellite course. But uh, it was enough to convince us that it was truly anomalous. And when he had stopped and did this, and we uh, we looked at what it had done, it appeared to be the inverse of pi. Now, explain to our listeners, and we really don't have mathematicians here, and I'll tell you that quite frankly. We know what pi is. You know, it's kind of like an endless number that goes on. An right. inverse of pi, what does that mean in the real world in plain English? We don't know what it, it actually means. The thing so is, why do you conclude it's the inverse of pi and that's related to pi? Well, I don't ask me. Uh, we didn't ask them to transmit that. It, it was, it was, it was, and we don't know that it's what it was, but that's what it looked like. That's what uh, the way it was interpreted. Now, often it seems like in, in some of the, the UFO-related experiences that people have, it's almost as if there is a form of what would be called lateral communication. If there was a communicational content there, then we have to look and try to say, uh, now, pi, of course, for those that have forgotten their geometry, is, is the ratio of the diameter to the circumference of a circus, three, uh, circle, 3.14, and go, own numbers just keep on going, it seems, to infinity. And uh, uh, that in itself is, is, is rather unique. And uh, uh, the inverse of it, I'm not sure. I, I mean, there is not, there's not enough solid evidence. For example, we didn't have the equipment we had later where we would have recorded this whole thing. And since it's not solid enough... Uh, if we were solid enough, we would probably do a lot of work and try to publish something explaining what that might mean. But since we can't prove it, uh, we prefer to focus upon the data that we did get recorded with good optical and electronic instruments and leave that uh, to, let's say, tickle our curiosity. Let me ask you a question here. You had this one instance where you fired the laser beam at the UFO it seemed to respond and hover overhead. Did you repeat it to see no, if it would happen where, with other sightings? One where it stopped and, and hovered overhead and did the inverse pi, there was no laser. We simply had a light circle, 100 feet in diameter. That was a pipe creek outside of pipe. pipe okay, creek. okay, so you've clarified. Okay, but I'm saying here with these tests, with lasers, with all these light circles and stuff, this happened a number of years ago. Did you try to repeat those experiments since then? Uh, no, we haven't tried to repeat them. We decided that uh, that approach was somewhat naive, and uh, the, the best approach was the direct approach simply to not let them know you're there and try to get the data with the instruments. That, that may be a little naive, too, because... <laughs> okay, but you say naive. You know. In what sense? I mean, is there a side effect that you're not telling us something negative? Oh, wait, uh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't understand your, what you were asking. About. Okay, well, you, you said that your efforts to, I guess, communicate or communicate yep. information or send signals to the UFOs, these right. were naive. In what sense were they naive? Because, one, it, it, it's like, uh, well, it, let me give an analogy to the contact cult on the island that was depicted in that movie, Mundo County, or wherever it was. We, we, in effect, were the contact cultists. I mean, they go in their way. They're doing whatever they want to. They may notice you and stop or something. But the contact people, cultists on the island, could not have expected the aircraft flying over to Guam or wherever they were going to uh, to stop and entertain them by responding to their signals. And, and likewise, it seems to me that we were naive. UFOs have responded to signals when they were in close range 
and persons have flashed flashlights at them. Oh, they did that to me one time. This is, by, in fact, one of the few cases that, out of the many that's listed as truly unidentified yeah, it, in the, the It happens the all the time with Stephen Greer, too. Boy, he, so many people are just, well, they have yes, those flashlights clicking and those crop circles. They're sounds claiming clear. they made they made contact and so on. I mean, uh, what I'm saying is we do not do that anymore because we think it is naive and we would certainly not charge people as Stephen Greer did to teach them to contact. We do not believe that you can contact UFOs with flashlight. So, so you didn't laser. have an ambassador training to the universe, uh, ambassador to the universe trainings? and. Uh, nah. No, we didn't have that. No, we we we're, we're poor people. We couldn't afford that. He charged too much. Well, <laughs> maybe of course, if you charge that. enough, you get enough people. You can make a lot of money from it. <laughs> Think I mean, I of it. all the business you didn't <laughs> yeah, generate well, if I, if here. I, yeah, right. He may make some money, but uh, we're not, not going to take And then, then we could have everybody like like they do at C-SETI. They can all surround you and, and lay their hands on you and let you be the uh, oh. the medium, the channel. Oh, wow. I didn't know they do that, but that that's even more exciting. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, <laughs> that's real interesting. But, uh, you know, we uh, we began to get more success when we we changed our approach to just simply the passive instrument uh, monitoring. We did have some one night uh, – well, that's another story. I don't know if we want to get into that now, Chris. Uh, well, you know that, what? That you... Well, you know something, Ray? You've kind of opened the door there. You've pulled the okay. genie out of the bottle. You got more success with other attempts. Okay. Right. Maybe tell us something. Throw us a bone here. Okay. Well, I, let me uh, – let's see. I was, I was going to mention the uh, – I, I said, okay, the uh, one night – this was in, in the beginning. It was before we had either of our lab buildings set up. And we were in the process of building the light circle, and we had a group of people out at our lab site with cameras. But And some of the guys had tripods and so on, and uh, I tried to teach the people not to waste our film on uh, mistaking conventional objects as aircraft. But uh, uh, they continued to do this, and man, they would be clicking away at something that was nothing but a, you know an aircraft with a xenon strobe on it. And so I made a rule. I said, you're not to pick any photographs without first clearing it with me. I'll let you know if it's something you should take a picture of. Well, as it happened a few days after that rule was put down, I, I had jumped back into my car to get my jacket. It was getting cool, and uh, I began to hear everybody gathered around there saying, Ray, can we take a picture? Can we take a picture? And I jumped out of the car, and I said, why aren't you fools taking pictures? Oh, uh, there was, uh, but then I don't wait. We're going to take simultaneously so we can have triangulation, a, a Textbook, so-called dome disc, was coming down. Now the textbook dome disc that was coming down. Right, we have to hold off. A book on UFOs. That's what Ray. We have to of. get into that in a moment. We have Ray Stanford okay. with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs. Convert from so many formats, I can't even list them. Download now to 
see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E Soft.com. Big Berkey water filters are in high demand. Storable foods are also in high demand. BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has always kept our focus on the Berkey water filter products. But increasingly, our customers have been asking for storable foods. After months of research, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com now offers great-tasting, long-lasting, storable foods. These ready-to-eat meals are packed in airtight nitrogen pouches. All you do is just add water. And because they're sealed so well, they come with a 25-year shelf life. Combine our Berkey water filters, which are powerful enough to purify treated, untreated, or even stagnant pond water with our storable foods, and you have a winning combination. Remember, we offer free shipping on every order over $50, and GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY. That's BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY today. If you constantly feel run down and tired, your pH level might be low and your body could be full of toxins. If what you drink is not at a pH level of 8 or higher, you are inviting bacteria and acid to thrive in your body. But there is something you can do. Simply add 10 drops of AlkaVision Plasma pH drops to your water to help your body rid itself of acidic waste, increase oxygen, and raise your pH balance to optimum levels. AlkaVision Plasma pH drops combine a unique formula of the most alkaline minerals in the world. Alkalizing the water you drink, ridding your body of acidic waste and toxins, and helping you regain energy and vibrant health. And studies show viruses, bacteria, and toxins cannot survive in an alkaline, high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH drops at AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or call 269-409-1776. 269-409-1776. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health at AlkaVision.com today. If you owe money to the IRS, you can't make the problem go away by yourself. But with the help of Dan Pilla, you can get your problem solved once and for all. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. For 30 years, I've helped thousands of people solve their tax debt problem, and I can help you solve yours, too. We take a very simple but proven three-step approach to solving your problem. First, we stabilize IRS collection actions so you don't have to worry about the IRS seizing your bank account or paycheck. Next, we build a comprehensive plan to get your tax debt reduced to the fullest extent possible, sometimes even completely eliminated. And finally, we work with you every step of the way to get your problem solved once and for all. Call us for a free consultation. Call 1-800-346-6829. We'll work together to get your problem solved guaranteed. Dan Pilla has been protecting taxpayers from the IRS for three decades, and he can help you too. Call us today at 800 800- 3466829 that's 800 34 no tax This is Hilly Rose and I hope that you do listen to the Paracast because you will learn a great deal about the paranormal With Gene with Chris with Ray Stanford about the dome disc Coming down towards him. Tell me more. It was actually, it was not coming with his bottom straight, the axis straight down. It was tilted, where you could see the the dome 
the red glowing dome on top, and you can see the whole flange of the thing coming right on down. And uh, I said, okay, uh, on zero, five. I want to, in other words, everybody get a picture at the same time so we could triangulate while it was still at one given position. And uh, four, three, two, one. I'm about to say click, and it turns down like he's hearing me with the rheostat and vanishes. Well, much to our surprise, within two, maximum three and a half minutes, I believe, two F4 phantoms, now this is at night, came right over the middle of our light circle. That's, that's, that actually, we did have the light circle up, but that was all we had up at that time. We didn't have the buildings, as I said. They came right over the middle of it within 50 feet, which no one in a conventional aircraft would. They, they as they told us later, were using infrared scanners, knew exactly where they were related to the, the nearby hills. The two of them passed over. A few minutes later, a, an Air Force prop plane passed over. Well, it wasn't until some months later that our office got calls from uh, intelligence at Bergstrom Air Force Base, which had sent out the Air Force to start with. The first one was from the head of intelligence, and uh, I wasn't there, but uh, the, uh, the, the lady, uh, the, the front secretary out front uh, answered, and uh, he said that uh, they just wanted, they'd like them to vector reports of UFOs from the public uh, to us. And she said, yes, that's nice. You thanks. We appreciate it. Well, that's, there's nothing unusual about that. The Air Force was willing to do that because they were at that point actually using instruments that started that in May of 52. And uh, they had further, much further along in understanding uh, the objects and their phenomena, apparently, than uh, the public could ever provide them. So they passed them on to us. And we said, fine. But the next day, I got a call from uh, uh, another person in intelligence, and uh, we verified this, and uh, I will eventually publish his name and rank and all the details. He got a call, and he wanted to talk to me. He got me. In the first place, he uh, he asked if uh, – he said that intelligence out there had about uh, – I think it was a dozen or, or – maybe a baker's dozen people in intelligence there wanted to come and take a tour of our lab site and could I accommodate this? Would we allow them to do so? And I said, well, you know, I'm just the head of the project. I'm not a president of the board of directors, and, and I, I'll have to talk this over with everybody involved and, and see. And it, it's, it's, it's a surprise that you would want and uh, to come out uh, being Air Force and Air Force intelligence. Uh, then he he began to uh, state that that they he, he told me he said you remember you remember the night when you had that object come right down over over you and uh, and then a few minutes later two our force came over your light circle and I said yes sir I remember very well you want to explain that to me and he said yes he said we were tracking that disc. <laughs> He said, and we knew because we had reconnoitered your site before, and we knew it was coming down directly over your site. When it, it got very near the ground, as you know, a few hundred feet up, but at, at almost where it was about to go out of the range of our, because of the, the hills and, and the, the terrain of our radar, and he said, all of a sudden, it vanished. And we did not know whether it had gone up or down. But if it had gone down, we wanted to get out there. And we wanted to see if it was on the ground, and if so, other action would be taken. He said, that's why we flew over. We knew exactly where your light circle was because we had we had scanned it before, and we went right there right away. We didn't have to search for anything, and, uh, and it wasn't on the ground, much to our relief. But uh, he then made a proposal, and I, I believe that uh, – and interrupt me if we need a break. I don't believe that such a proposal was ever made to any other UFO group or individual in the country or the world by the United States Air Force. What they offered, uh, they, they gave me the command post phone number to dial 
if I saw an object that I recognized as an anomalous aerial object, and they said that they knew that I was experienced enough that I would not mistake a prosaic object for it, they stated that at any time that I called that telephone number, and I have a tape recording of the entire conversation I'm describing, they would vector two F4 phantoms with IR infrared scanning equipment to wherever I told them I was. They said, you know, particularly we know where you're on the side, otherwise you're going to have to tell us. And we'll, but they said, we have confidence in you and your organization, and we, we will scramble the jets. Now, if you think about what it costs to scramble two F4s, uh, they must have taken us pretty seriously. So if, if the Air Force or the government pretends that they don't take this subject pretty seriously, they better explain why they trusted Ray Stanford enough to vector two F4s at his uh, suggestion by telephone. Now, I checked, I called the number and verified that it was exactly what I had been given. It was not a trick. I could even hear the jets in the background and lingo going on. It clearly it was the command post, so this was not a telephone trick. And also, we verified the officer's identity. Parenthetically, with a government that can spend $700 on a toilet seat, what does it cost him to scramble jets? 50000 100000 What? I don't know that, well, <laughs> it might be more than that now with uh, the cost of fuel, but I don't, I don't know what it was back then. But if you talk to anybody about that, they'll tell you that uh, that was really uh, quite a commitment that they would do that at that time. It, 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 it indicates how seriously they took the, the need to gain data on these objects. Now, they knew me from the, the first time that the Bergstrom Intelligence knew me was when I had had the sighting that I said was unidentified officially in the files from the night of June 24th, uh, 1967. Uh, was it? No, 60, 67. Uh, yes, 67. And uh, I was out at the, the Mansfield Dam west of uh, Austin. And that was the case. It was uh, it was before we had our project up. But uh, I, had, I had mainly called Bergstrom Intelligence on a lark simply because I wanted to know how seriously they would take my report, where they really bothered to take down a bunch of information to where they say, oh, ho, ho, I'm, ho, ho, I'm, you know, <laughs> go call a TV station or some UFO group. But they didn't. They took it seriously. And, but without telling me uh, the next day, I was just getting ready to walk out the door to go to dinner uh, there in Austin. A knock came at the door, and it was an officer from intelligence, and uh, I have his name and so on and so forth. That would eventually be all on the record. He took detailed accounts from me and told me himself some very uh, interesting things that uh, I won't go into unless Chris wants to. Who knows the story? Ray, I'd like to know about it. This intelligence officer. Right. Now, let's get the dates back clarified here because we have a lot of events that have moved from one to the other, and I want to really kind of focus strictly on some of these details. When did this happen? What year again? This was in 1967. Okay, uh, so we're the, talking quite a long time ago. Yes. You're talking at a time the Beatles were still together. We had the oh, summer in San Francisco. Before the Beatles. No, the Beatles oh, were in the early the Beatles, 60s. 62. Yeah. But okay, uh, okay, it, okay, before okay. the end of okay. Blue Book. Uh, no, we're not at the end of it. We're just right near the end of it. It was one of their no, last... Before, uh, before the end of Blue Book was two years right, later. Right, that's right. Okay, so we're in 1967. Right. This intelligence officer tells you a few things. Yeah. What did he tell you? Well, he... Uh, okay, I, I'm going to have to... The reason I didn't want to go in that unless you asked for it, because I have to tell first what I told him. I went out there merely... I, it was me and my big 200-pound St. Bernard dog, Big Benedictus. And uh, in my little Volkswagen buck. And if I was an intelligence officer, I'd be looking out at that dog. Uh, yeah, right. 
definitely. And and uh, well, his worst the worst danger from that dog was his slobber, <laughs> and it was summer in Austin. But anyway, uh, I drove. I was. I decided to be getting. I'd go out near the. Uh, Near the dam, there you know there had been the reports in the '60s a lot of UFOs over Lake Wanaka and uh, association with water, and so I, I thought, well, I'll just drive out of the dam. It's, it's dark out there; they, it wasn't built up like it is now, and uh, so I was driving out there, and uh, uh, and I'm a fast driver, uh, but uh, there was a car in front of me that, uh, since it was curving roads out in the hill country, uh, I kind of hesitated to pass. There was a little. Uh, red convertible Austin Healy in front of me and uh, looked like from the what I could see from the light the cars coming the other way that so there's two people in and uh, but they obligingly uh, pulled over uh, onto the shoulder and let me pass and I didn't honk at them didn't flash my lights but they let me pass they were not New York drivers obviously uh, I didn't catch what you said but I'll go on Uh, the uh, uh, we uh, the dog and I went on up and parked right by the Mansfield Dam, there's a area you could drive in park there. And uh, I had, uh, after I had been there a while, here comes the guys in the Austin Healy, and they pull in right in front of me and pull around and further up, and they pull up almost into the trees because where they would put their car up on a slope, and uh, and they started flashing their lights into the sky, their headlights, the car. I had a big spotlight with me, but uh, they started flashing the lights in the sky, and then they cut them off. I thought, wait a minute. Are these guys out here for the same purpose I am? And uh, but after a short while, a blue cigar-shaped object, kind of a, a little deeper than electrical blue, uh, uh, to my memory now, uh, came across. And it wasn't moving on its axis; it was moving as these things do. They move on a tilt in relationship to the direction of travel. The we'll look into this field. object and the ramifications back in 1967 in a moment with Ray Stanford, with Gene and Chris. You're in a Paracast. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. G-C-N. Great talk radio starts here. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you own an Apple iPhone and love to listen to your favorite programs on GCN, I've got good news for you. I'm proud to announce that GCN has a brand new iPhone app available for our dedicated listeners at GCNlive.com. Listen to your favorite hard-hitting GCN programs live or on demand right on your iPhone. And the best part? The GCN iPhone app can be yours absolutely free. Download the iPhone app today by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit, and carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Immersed in our final hour with this fascinating tale of a UFO case, 1967. You're looking for them. These people in the Austin Healy are looking for them. The Austin Healy, by the way, that predates the Mini Cooper, doesn't it? Yeah, it sure does, as far as I know. <laughs> so let's Long continue. Way. Okay. 
Now, by the way, let me mention, well, I'll describe the sighting first. Uh, here comes the, the, the cigar-shaped object, which was coming kind of, if, uh, I'd have to check my notes to be absolutely sure, but it, uh, it was out of what I think was generally the south. And it's coming across, looked like it's following a horizontal path, probably pelloting the earth. And uh, there, there are some clouds in the sky, some over to the north. But it comes across, and I decide, well, I'm going to signal the thing. So I, I had one of these spotlights that's about, uh, the front of it's about you know, four inches or so in diameter with one of those big uh, uh, large batteries, not these round batteries, but these rectangular batteries in it, big battery. And so uh, I uh, stepped out of my car and uh, started flashing at this thing. Well, it stopped. It stopped moving and stopped and I'd have to review the, the case. I wasn't expecting to mention this on this show. I've reviewed the case details uh, to give it more precisely. But to tell you the truth, and I'll confess that it, it, it kind of scared me. And I temporarily jumped back in the car. <laughs> I, you know, I, it, it was just a gut reaction. I'm there alone to my dog. And he didn't, he didn't say anything. Then I got back out, and uh, I may have done it, gotten the nerve, and did it again. And it stopped again. Uh, eventually, it went on. I stopped flashing it. And it started up, and it went on, and it disappeared behind a cloud bank that was, I would judge, about 25,000 feet, uh, kind of moving in out of the uh, northwest, I think. And that was in the sighting. Well, I reported this faithfully to the uh, officer who was, who was not a low-level officer. This was a pretty high-level officer that was interviewing me. And as I said, I do have his name to this day. I just don't have it in my memory. And uh, I, I told him this. I gave him all the details, and it subsequently is. You, you can find it listed. It's listed as Austin, Texas, for the 24th of uh, June, 1967. Actually, I'd gone out there kind of celebrating the anniversary of the Kenneth Arnold event. And uh, anyway, uh, so we got to talking, and uh, he said, uh, who do you think those guys were in the Austin Healy? And I said, well, I don't know. I said, I wish I knew because, you know, you could get the impression that they were trying to do the same thing I was. He said, have you entertained the possibility that there are non-terrestrial aliens that look like us, that may be carrying on operations right here on the surface of the Earth, right among us, even driving an Austin Healy? And you're sure this guy was an intelligence Oh, I know for sure. Person, I mean, he yeah. transmitted all the information, and I later heard from Hector Quintanilla, you know, they had passed the information on to uh, Blue Book headquarters. It, it wouldn't have happened if this guy was not legitimate. And uh, I said, well, do you, I said, wait a minute, I, I said, yeah, I mean, I suppose that they could be. I, if they're really advanced, they might take on any appearance they won't. I, I don't know if they would naturally look like us, but they might be able to modify themselves and look like us. I, I said, uh, you know, I, I suppose it's possible. I said, do you have some reason to believe that that's happening? And he said, yes, sir, I do. And So I he's said, basically uh, confirming that this intelligence operative was on the up and up. And I know he was. And why would he confirm he, I, to you? I'm confused here. Well, he why was, he would this guy confirm this to you? Uh, wait, wait. If you mean what the up and up, that he was he from Bergstrom Air Force Base, there's no question at all about that. Now, whether he was on the up and up about this story, you see, I then I said, did you learn this in the Air Force? And he said, yes. But then I tried to question him further, and he kind of balked out and said, well, you know, I think I've told you probably more than I should now. So he he shut up after that. So, well, so he, he, he kind of hinted around that there are uh, human-looking aliens walking among us. That's frightening. Well, yeah, yeah, that that was my impression. My impression is that he was totally sincere. Now I might be naive. He might have been just you know leading me on, seeing if I would talk about Adamski and Space Brothers, something which I was past <laughs> at that time. But you know, uh, but my impression was that he was quite genuine. Wow, that's interesting. Yes, and so they had that record. That was Bergstrom's first contact with me. Now, this is an interesting question. If we checked through the Freedom of Information Act, 
Would yep. there be any chance we get any evidence of this, or is that something just maybe sure. too obscure? I mean, you don't have to check Freedom of Maine. All you do is, is, is go to the National Archive and check Blue Book Files. You'll see this case recorded right there. And I have a copy of the letter. I, actually, I've got it right here, but I don't think, I've got it right here in the drawer beside me, including the name of the officer and everything else. But um, I don't – you know how it is when you look through a book to show somebody that something's in there, and when they're there in front of you, you can't find it. But uh, uh, I, I have also a copy uh, – uh, of um, Hector Quintanilla eventually wrote me, and uh, he started asking questions that had been answered to this guy. He said, "You know, we have this case from whatever his name was," and he gave me the officer's name, so it was he definitely had it from him. But he said, "You only want to ask you this," and I wrote him back. I said, "Hey, look, Hector, this is ridiculous. That man took copious notes." And I said, he gave, I'm sure that he gave, he impressed me as being exceedingly thorough. I'm sure that he gave you the answers to all those questions. And he, I forget, I'd have to check my, my notes and, and Hector Quintanilla's letter. You know who Hector Quintanilla was, of course, and, yeah, of course. Uh, with Blue Book. And uh, he, he gave me the impression that they wanted to try to just flatten this case out and make it easy to explain and explain it. And, and uh, I, I don't remember my exact words. I wish I had it right in front of me. If I'd known I was going to talk about this, I would have it in front of me and give you the detail. But uh, I got him told. I, I told technically to me, I, I said, you, you may fool a lot of people, uh, including people that have seen things. You may convince them. I said, but what I saw, I am an experienced guy observer. I've been doing it for years, and I have described in great detail to the officer what I saw. There is no conventional explanation for the subject. And uh, he... Uh, he must have taken me seriously. He, he, well, you'll see it's listed. Check it for yourself in Blue Book Files. It's listed as one of the unidentifieds, and it was one of the one of the last cases. Uh, originally, when uh, Brad Steiger's book on Blue Book came out, I think it said that listed as the last case. But subsequently, I think there are two or three, maybe other cases that they received subsequent uh, to the closing of Project Blue Book that are now included in the uh, archive list. Now, what is the official explanation from the Air Force about this case? What do they say? It is unidentified. Check it for yourself. I have a couple of questions here um, that spring to mind. Uh, The first one is about the event that you just uh, described. Did you attempt to go over and uh, compare notes with the Occupants of the Austin Healy, to your recollection. I know this is 50 no, years ago. No, I, I didn't. Uh, I mean, I was alone, and I don't know. I, I had no weapons. You know, all I had was a spotlight and a big dog, but maybe I should have taken the big dog and gone over there. <laughs> but uh, I did not. So uh, count me as chicken in that respect. I, you know, I, it, it, I, it, didn't adur- it never occurred to me that they might be aliens. Now, oh, wait, I forgot, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm glad I thought that because one thing he did say, he said, "Has it? Have you considered the possibility? You know, about the." But then he said, "You see, these guys could have, if they were aliens, they could have used their headlights as a physical lock-on. But then, once the lock-on of location was obtained, they might have been communicating by some invisible to your eye means." He did say that. You know, something hits me from this, and I'm just going to throw it out as a really offhand, off-the-wall suggestion. With his intelligence agent, sure, he may have been the real thing. Do you think he was playing games with you, pulling your leg, just kind of seeing how you'd react to something a little bit out there? Oh, yeah, I suggested that a while ago. I mean, that is a possibility. I, I've entertained that possibility many times. Sometimes, I, I mean, he seemed totally sincere, but on the other hand, there's some good liars. And uh, uh, it could be either way. I really uh, don't know. Uh, you know, also, they would possibly have information about you, obviously. And to be blunt, you know, you're a UFO guy. 
a lot of people think that UFO people, and they think that of me, were just a bunch of wackos. And so maybe he figured, well, you know what? I'm going to see what I can do. I'm going to stretch the envelope, see precisely how this guy's going to react when I tell him all this stuff. See if he yeah. does wacky things. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he could well be. Uh, but the thing is, ultimately, he took me, obviously, what I said very seriously, because the case did end up as one of the, you know, out of the numbers that they supposedly studied. I don't know how much study they did, but, but it is truly listed as an unidentified case. Well, I have another question, and it involves the uh, the event where the uh, jets were scrambled, and later, uh, a few minutes later, a prop plane. Now, you had mentioned that that in '67 you had already established a, uh, somewhat of a, a rapport with the uh, officials at Bergstrom. Do you recall uh, calling Bergstrom that night and saying, "Hey, did you guys uh, pick up something on radar?" Oh, oh, oh. You mean the night the jets came over the site Correct. 50 feet up? Oh, no, we didn't communicate with them. Of course, you didn't have cell phones then. Uh, I'll tell you what, we'll have to ask more about that communication or attempt or why you didn't in a moment. We've got Ray Stanford with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. Are you ready to order the official Paracast t-shirt? You asked, we answered. We're now taking orders for the official Paracast t-shirt. It comes in white, 100% cotton. The front of it features the same logo that we have on our community forums. On the back it says, separating signal from noise. To order the official Paracast t-shirt, here's all you have to do. Visit our new online store at store.theparacast.com. One more time, that's store.theparacast.com. You can use a major credit card to place your order for the official Paracast t-shirt. Hey, neighbors, we have one more thing to talk about, and that's more merchandise at the official Paracast store. We have hats, we have jackets, we even have a flip video camcorder customized with the Paracast logo at the official Paracast store. It's all now available at the official Paracast store, store store.theparacast.com. Have you ever felt like the United States government knows way too much about your financial affairs? I continue to hear stories about property seizures, frozen bank accounts, confiscation of stocks and bonds. It makes me wonder if the U.S. citizen will ever again have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Unfortunately, with the Drug and Money Laundering Act, the IRS Revenue Ruling 6045 of 1984, and the Trading with the Enemy Act and Franklin D. Roosevelt's Executive Order of 1933, some precious metal holdings are subject to government intervention. For this reason, Midas Resources has prepared a report explaining the boundaries of trading precious metals privately. Whether if you have any intention of trading with Midas Resources or not, I have instructed my representatives to give this report out free. Call for your free copy at 1-800-686-2237. When investing, always proceed with caution. Again, call 1-800-686-2237. Exercise your legal right to trade metals privately. 1-800-686-2237. Folks, have you lost your power and wanted to simply flip a switch to get the lights back on? If so, this is going to be the most important message you'll ever hear. Because there's never been a better time to get ready for the winter power outages ahead. Here's why. Solar power generators are now available from our friends at Solutions from Science, one of our oldest sponsors. Their emergency backup systems provide life-saving electrical power when you need it most. Unlike gas generators, a solar generator runs quietly, emits no fumes, and produces electricity from the sun. 
It's like having an electric power plant running quietly in your own home. Whether it's ice storms, brownouts, or blackouts, you'll never have to suffer through painful power outages again. When the power goes out this winter, you'll be ready with a solar power generator from Solutions from Science. Go to MySolarBackup.com for more information. That's MySolarBackup.com or call 877-327-0365. That's what it sounds like when a burglar kicks in the door of a dark house that looks like no one is home. Don't let your home be the next target. Make it look like someone is home watching television with Fake TV. Fake TV is a small electronic device that makes the same light as a real television. So from outside, it looks like someone is home watching TV. Fake TV plugs in just like a lamp on a timer, but is far more convincing to burglars. Fake TV deters burglars, costs far less than an alarm, and is highly recommended by numerous police departments. Use it anytime you're away from home. To order your Fake TV for only $34.95, go to faketv.com. Or call 1-877-5-FAKE-TV. Each additional fake TV is only $29.95. So get one for you and one for a loved one for safety, security, and peace of mind for both of you. Call 877-5-FAKE-TV or go to faketv.com. FakeTV.com, the burglar deterrent. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And if you'd like to catch up on past episodes, we have hundreds of shows for you to download direct from theparacast.com. That's theparacast.com. Or check us out at iTunes. With Gene and Chris, with Ray Stanford as we wind down the minutes and hours here and continue with this discussion. So you didn't think, Ray Stanford, about checking up further on what they knew about this? You mean about what the, the officer told me when he came to my uh, little apartment there in Austin? No, no. The Berg, Colin Bergstrom after the planes flew over. Sure, uh, sure. Okay. Oh, I did not think that I would get any information. Little did I know that they would, you know, within, uh, it was a matter of just a few months at most, I guess, actually call me and bring up the subject and tell me why they did it. You know, I knew they had to have been there because of that. I mean, we presumed that, that they had tracked it or they wouldn't have been out there because they'd never come before. I, we'd had a National Guard helicopter come over and, and wave flashlights at, a flashlight at us as they saw our light circle, but that wasn't official. You were just guys on the weekend with the National Guard having fun with the, what they'd read about in the papers or seen on TV. But these guys we never would have thought they would have told me anything. But in, as I said, they call up and, I mean, this fellow called from intelligence and explained exactly why they were there. They wondered, they had to find out if it was on the ground in contact with us. And offered to uh, kind of channel uh, reports to you. I mean, that's that's pretty no, unprecedented. Uh, yeah, well, that was the day before. That's not unusual. They had done that uh, since they were, you know, no longer interested. But the, the, the offer that they made to me, they, they I said, what's there in it from me? I said, look, I call you. We have a UFO out at the web, at our lab site. I call you and you scramble F4s. I said, that, that thing could get the hell out of here. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, we may lose data because we called you. And it's not you that we want to track. We want to track them. And I said, so what, there any for us? He said, now, we have very – these scanning pictures. He said, we have excellent – your whole side. He said, you know, you have that state-of-the-art television and uh, out there with color, and we, we're going to superimpose. We did have a, a map superimposed, but we can give you detail maps to superimpose and let that new color TV set was – even the TV people came out there and saw that set and the resolution, what we could do with it. It was shocked. It was expensive, too. But here was – 
uh, him offering these aerial scans, which we didn't have the good satellites that we can get now off of Google Earth, anything that we have now, and uh, offering these for us to put on the screen and uh, so we could tell over what the object was maneuvering because we had we had three cameras. You know, if we weren't picking it up on our radar, we had three camera stations. They were hundreds of feet apart with underground lines, hopefully to prevent the uh, field effect of the UFOs from knocking out the communication between the camera stations and the simultaneous uh, electronic actuation of the uh, the shutter. We had optical infinity aimers on the cameras, and uh, they were used so that we would be very accurately aimed right at it, and uh, all three cameras would be aimed at it in the same way, and their shaft encoders would put data into the computer, translate it into an above-ground location, which would then be superimposed on the, uh, the above-ground photographs that he proposed they give to us. But I said, well, that's not quite enough. I said, I can talk it over with the powers that be, but frankly, it sounds like it's not that it's a lopsided deal because you can then chase those things, your F4s with your scanners, and we're sit there with, uh, you've chased them off, and we've got uh, very little except what we got before we called you. And uh, he said he understood, but that's where I left it. We never decided to, we never did call him back to invite them out to our labs. I should have, it, it might have been fun, but uh, I, I guess I caught. I thought discretion was a better part of valor at that point in life. Well, uh, definitely a fascinating just snippet uh, from your incredible treasure trove of, of stories and experiences and, and efforts uh, in hard documentation of, of this uh, mystery we're all interested in. Speaking of uh, the mystery, I did mention to our listeners, Ray, before, uh, before you came on, that uh, we were going to talk about the years of analytical work have left you in a position to advise people on the you know, the, the do's and don'ts and uh, what to look for when examining uh, any of these just thousands of UFO photos and films and videos that have, have been coming out uh, on the Internet. And you, have, I, you and I have talked about this at length on, on numerous occasions, and I've learned a lot from you on what to actually look for that will give us a sense of the reality of this phenomenon uh, in a particular shot or picture. Why don't, why don't we uh, just cover some of that ground right now? What, okay. uh, why don't you give us a kind of a, a thumbnail sketch of the state of <laughs> visual evidence right now in the field, and then uh, and then we'll go to the nuts and yeah. bolts of how to how to properly analyze these things. Okay, uh, let me mention that. I mean, for example, uh, a couple of days ago, I heard that somebody had photographed a bunch. There was a there was an account of somebody describing all kinds of incredible things, and had taken video of uh, a whole flight of objects with trees off in the distance. You see them at times pass around behind the top of the trees, and here's these objects. Well, I saw the video, and I laughed. The person who took the video had let their imagination get far away from them in, in seeing what they were they were watching, what we were, we were taping. It was video. was Well, they were disking. I should say I'm old-fashioned when I say taping, but uh, what they were disking was uh, actually just uh, these so-called Chinese lanterns or homemade versions. I don't know which. Now, in benefit of the listener, I want to tell the listener that when you see something like that, I can tell you from experience the color of a candle flame that you see, and sometimes uh, the, the slightly modified color, depending on the color of the paper that's used in that lantern, uh, that color, that kind of candle-like color, kind of orange-yellow, is not created, is not generated by UFO field effects. It's not a UFO. One of the ways that you can tell if you're colorblind or don't really realize exactly what the color might be that's confusing is in, I believe that I can say that in all, if not, then I will say most all cases of the, what I call a bona fide uh, anomalous aerial object, there will be a high speed, not a candle flicker, 
but a high speed, approximately uh, 10 to 12 hertz vibration of the light source. And uh, it is unmistakable. Now, some people have such low flicker fusion in their brain uh, perceptual system that they visual and perceptual system in the brain that they they might fuse this. But most people will be able to see this <laughs> kind of flicker. At 10 uh, is 12, that noise? Excuse me. Excuse me. I think our listeners may have driven off the road if they're in their cars when they heard that noise. <laughs> what did well, you do there? Because right now I'm listening and suddenly. You know, I'm enjoying the discussion and following through with what you're saying. And you're a great storyteller. You tell great. He's a great sound effects guy, too, let me tell you. I'll tell you, we, if there was still a need for radio sound effects and there was still a business in doing radio dramas, we'd call you up real quickly. Yeah, I'd come out of retirement. Yep. <laughs> but, hey, listen, this, was, this is a thing to watch for. When you see that kind of frequency, the, the frequency that air, the aircraft, aircraft lights vibrate, too, but they don't vibrate at that rate. They're higher, and you're going to flicker fuse it, and you're never going to see it. But most UFOs vibrate at that rate, and interestingly, the, the extreme low-frequency component of their magnetic field, which we uh, have recorded on numbers of occasions, uh, uh, also has vibration uh, right in that range. And a, one of these candle-powered things uh, will, not, will not have that, and I also will say that uh, none of these uh, remotely-controlled aircraft with the LEDs, they don't flash at that rate. And uh, you'll see a lot of the fake pictures these days that you see on YouTube. Uh, they have used LED lighting uh, with a kind of bluish color. Uh, UFOs emit in the bluish, but it does not have that particular cast that the LED has when you record it on, on video. And uh, uh, it's a different color. There are discrete wavelengths of light that UFOs tend to emit in. Now, when they emit pure white, it will appear to be the whitest white that you have ever seen in most cases. Uh, there, is a, there is an orange, but it's certainly not like the, uh, like the lanterns. It well, is, look at the fact, color spectrum and so much more with Ray Stanford. With Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are... The GCN Radio Network. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com Iodine protection packs from HempUSA.org are now in stock for immediate delivery worldwide. Our iodine protection packs include micro plant powder, green life kelp, red palm oil, and our clear roll-on iodine that will feed the body the iodine it needs. All iodine protection packs are in stock, save you money, and ship for free in all 50 states. Visit HempUSA.org or call 908-691-2608 today. 
HempUSA.org has a revolutionary wonder food for detoxing the body and rebuilding the immune system. Microplant powder can help unclog arteries and soften heart valves while removing heavy metals, virus, fungus, bacteria, and parasites. Plus, it cleans and purifies the blood, lungs, stomach, and colon. Keep your body clean with microplant powder. Visit us at HempUSA.org or call 908-691-2608 today. We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years in serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light Systems system today complete with two black berkey elements for only 231 dollars and the berkey guy will ship your order free of charge with the purchase of a berkey light the berkey guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only 39.99 that's over 30 percent off the retail price call the berkey guy at 1-877-886-3653 that's 1-877-886-3653 or order online at goberkey.com that's goberkey.com today Fight back this cold and flu season with the world's best garlic extract, Ali C. Why Ali C? Because it helps your body fight viruses, bacteria, and fungi. Ali C has been scientifically proven in double-blind studies using low doses to greatly reduce the number, severity, and duration of common colds. Ali C contains 300 milligrams of stabilized allicin, the active ingredient in crushed garlic. Studies show Ali C is effective against MRSA, bacterial, fungal, and viral infections. One tablet of Ali C has the equivalent of 40 cloves of garlic. Ali C supports your body's resistance to all types of conditions and can help lower high blood pressure and high cholesterol. So boost your body's resistance to infection with nature's best garlic extract, Ali C. For more information and to order Ali C, call 877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com. That's 1-877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com for your Ali C today. Hi, this is Ted Phillips listening to the Paracast, and it's as good as it gets, believe me. With Gene and Chris, we have Ray Stanford for two more segments, and we're looking at the color spectrum. Is this the UFO color spectrum? Do they have specific colors you can depend on? Seriously. Yes, they do. Uh, Now, Often, uh, if, let me break in here and say that people that want to photograph and film these things, video these things, look, do yourself a favor and watch in the daytime. They know they can be seen by the light sources at night and are less frequently around by far at night than they are at daytime. And a daytime film will give you far more evidence than a nighttime film. So please watch for them and carry whatever you've got that you can carry to record the optical images. Watch in daytime. Focus your eyes on the most distant object in the sky so that your perception of your brain is out there. And unless you're driving, you're going to have to keep track of the traffic. And uh, that will enable you to tend to perceptually lock on to things moving up there. Otherwise, even though they're moving up there, you'll miss it just as you miss the, you may hear a jet plane fly over low but, and try to spot it, but sometimes you can't even spot it, although you know it's in exceptionally close range. But you need to keep that, that focus out there, which is not only a visual focus, but a perceptual focus. Now, regarding the colors of these things, 
the colors that UFOs emit in tend to be exceedingly pure. People use that adjective again, again. The purest red, the purest blue, the purest orange. The orange tends to be, you, it, there can be a amber, but it's, it's different than the sodium vapor amber. But the orange tends to be a deep, almost a cadmium orange red. Some people might call it vermilion. But on the occasion when we got light spectra on some of the red objects, they were so red that they made the helium neon laser that we had the light from it looked orange. It would ex explain why people use that adjective, extremely pure. Because the light from these two objects that were definitely anomalous serial objects, it was extremely pure in the long red, near-infrared wavelength. And in fact, it was not only extremely pure at that, it was one single wavelength. That's why it looks pure. But that single wavelength had been broken up into components on our light spectra. And uh, that can occur under one, either of two conditions. If the light is emitted in the presence of an extremely strong electromagnetic field or an extremely strong electrical field. Of course, according to the magnetic theory, which I support for gross atmospheric propulsion of these objects, uh, you would have both conditions. So either one or both could be contributing to the fact that in, for example, the, the pictures that we got on the night of the 19th of July, 1978, were actually broken down into, I think it was six, it might have been just four components, but possibly six that are not to be mistaken for discrete wavelengths of light. They were actually the same wavelength, but split by uh, one of the two, or both of the two phenomena uh, that I mentioned. I won't try to get people into the technology of it or the, or the, the technical names, but uh, it is a very pure, exceptional light. And most of these things that people see, I, I agree with organizations that, that say they're not UFOs. Uh, and I, I wish people would wise up to these uh, these lanterns because they're increasing in number. And every time it seems like somebody has a party these days, they have to launch 10 or 20 of them. We're also seeing a lot of birds and just prosaic objects, too, that don't appear in the frame when the per person takes a picture. I think you've told me in the past that this is usually an indication that they're dealing with a mundane object. That's right. Yeah, the, the thing is that you don't simply do not, you perceptually ignore a bird flying by or insects flying by. You're focusing on your subject of your camera, and people are like, ooh, this thing is in the picture. It must be a UFO. Well, uh, in most cases, it's not. I'm not saying that a UFO that's not seen by the eye cannot appear in a picture. I know better. But in most of these cases that we see where they did not see it or notice it, uh, it was, uh, in fact, uh, a bird or insects. I, I mean, I, I see this all the time on YouTube and, and elsewhere, and it's amazing. I do not understand why these uh, so-called UFO researchers aren't calling a spade a spade in that case. And in many cases, they're not. They're just going, wow. Well, they've got to keep, keep new material before the uh, public, you know. So uh, I think uh, a good example would be a lot of the pictures you see on Filer's Files, for instance. I mean, I'm I'm able just to, with the limited amount of knowledge I have in the analytical realm here to uh, discount uh, a vast majority of these pictures that show up there. Although this week's uh, uh, version of the files, files does have a couple of shots that do have that pure light that uh, you described. Um, what are, the, are some of the other uh, things that, that people should uh, okay should look for? Well, okay, in daylight. Uh, when you see what I call a bona fide anomalous aerial object, it is, it is not. In other words, I'm researching those. I'm not researching UFOs because somebody you know, saw something in the sky they couldn't identify. 
we have got we've narrowed it down with our instruments and our experience in observing that we know and are interested only in the phenomena that are truly non-prosaic and uh, truly anomalous by normal terms. Now, one of the phenomena that you will notice, and it's been described in the literature in both Kufos and elsewhere in their publication some years ago, there was, for example, a aircraft, the guy that, that when he reported this to the Center for UFO Studies, was an aircraft engineer with a major corporation. And uh, uh, in his youth, he had been with a Boy Scout, a large Boy Scout thing on the Catalina Island off the coast of California. And uh, they saw a domed disc, as they described it, and it it got close enough that it covered a good angular size in the sky, and it even went across, and its shadow fell on the mountains off to one side. So they knew approximately its size by the, the size of the shadow because they knew the dimensions of the features on the mountain. But he said what intrigued him most and is stuck in his memory as being uh, puzzling was that in this be- against this beautiful blue sky, when you looked at the sky right around the object, it was bluer than the rest of the sky. Indeed, uh, that is the case in daylight UFO observations if you look very carefully. And it's, it's not uh, visually, it's, it's far out enough that it's not like some bright object causing you an optical uh, after effect as your retina shifts slightly and you're seeing an odd pattern around it because of the effect on the retina. It's actually an objective thing that is there. But if you will film it, film it at the highest speed that your camera will tolerate for the uh, lighting conditions. And if it's a very bright object, uh, you want to, if possible, uh, to beat in on the light uh, for the amount of exposure you give, not on the sky. We want the object after all. And uh, uh, you, will, uh, you will find when you get the pictures back that it will shock you because there will be in, in genuine photographs of genuine anomalous aerial objects, you're going to see the object in ghost images in, in tones of a strange color, a kind of blue, around the object, all kinds of images, some of them negative images, some of them positive images, and in every conceivable rotation of the object, around the object that you are watching that I refer to as the target object. Now, the scientific ramifications of this are potentially absolutely paradigm and earth-shaking because uh, it does not appear to be stealth. After all, it doesn't keep us from seeing the object, and uh, it appears to be something that is related to the nature of the object or what is going on in or around the object itself. And we're working heavily on this, but uh, uh, we laugh because the people keep coming up with these. And even the fakers, if they if they learn about this eventually, they're not going to be able to easily uh, fake this effect. It is, it is extraordinary. And when anybody comes and visits me and sees this production that, that shows many, uh, well, actually, a vast number of examples of this, uh, you will you'll understand that it is something that no one ever grasped because they were not studying the photograph. Now, these multiple objects or images are not just in the photographs I take. I have pictures taken by other people way back in the uh, uh, 50s. Uh, for example, I, I, there are multiple objects in, uh, in um, well, a, a nice series of photographs taken by Francois Malderman the uh, postman in uh, Belgium on uh, May 5th, I believe, 1950, possibly 5. And uh, there are numbers of examples of this. There are other phenomena that are unique to these objects. For example, when an object is about to maneuver, and it may continue slightly into the maneuver, unseen to your eye but seen on the film because it is so fast, there will be columns of light shot off certain edges but not all edges of the object to electrify the air 
in those specific areas to provide lift under the uh, under the influence of the magnetic field producing magnetic flow. And uh, we we first recorded this in a photograph we got of the object on Padre Island, Texas, on Saturday, November 6, 1954. The nine witness street police officer witnesses the case, but we didn't know what it was. But in years later, of course, where we have movie films with hundreds and hundreds and thousands of frames, we can follow this, and we now believe we know what it is. I'll tell you what, we'll ask you what it is in a moment with Ray Stanford. Joining Gene and Chris, you're in The Paracast. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Is there a secret UFO agenda? Do strange creatures from the darkest corners of the mind roam the earth? Is there evidence for mind control, time travel, or devious government conspiracies? Find out the inside scoop on the latest conspiracies, paranormal activity, and Freudian phenomena when you subscribe to Tim Beckley's Conspiracy Journal. It's jam-packed with stories, special book and DVD promotions, and the best news, it's absolutely free, sent right to your mailbox. Plus, a bonus free email newsletter sent out every Friday. Simply send an email with your name and address to MrUFO at WebTV.net. That's MrUFO at WebTV.net. Find out what they don't want you to know. Big Berkey water filters are in high demand. Storable foods are also in high demand. BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has always kept our focus on the Berkey water filter products. But increasingly, our customers have been asking for storable foods. After months of research, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com now offers great-tasting, long-lasting, storable foods. These ready-to-eat meals are packed in airtight nitrogen pouches. All you do is just add water. And because they're sealed so well, they come with a 25-year shelf life. Combine our Berkey water filters, which are powerful enough to purify treated, untreated, or even stagnant pond water with our storable foods, and you have a winning combination. Remember, we offer free shipping on every order over $50, and GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY. That's BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY today. Did you ever think you'd be where you are a decade into the 21st century? Record foreclosure rates for homes, if not yours, your neighbors. Thankful for the unemployment check since you were laid off and placing your child's name on the angel tree in hopes of a Christmas gift along with thousands of other Americans. Did you ever think your future would feel this out of control? The fact is, in all this craziness, there's only one thing you can control. Your greatest dependency, your food supply. Make 2012 the year you take control by getting prepared. eFoods Direct introduces the best way to build your food supply in the 21st century. Get a 21-day supply of food free with purchase. Call 800-409-5633 or go to eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex. Take back control in 2012. Call 800-409-5633 or go to eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex. Remember, you can bet your life on eFoodsDirect. 
Heart and Body Extract continues to receive positive testimonials from people who have experienced amazing results, like Reed. I just wanted to send you a quick but a very big thank you for Heart and Body Extract. I've been on the formula for nearly a month now, and the improvement in the circulation of my legs has been simply amazing. Reed was facing a tough choice. I was facing surgery due to the severity of the 100% blocked arteries in both my legs. And my decision, waiting for surgery to say no and try heart and body extract instead, has been thankfully the right decision. And the result? I can now walk up steps without noticeable pain. Order heart and body extract at 866-295-5305. 866-295-5305. Or hbextract.com. Heart and body extract for a long and healthy life. This is Jacques Vallée, and you're listening to the podcast, The Gold Standard of Paranormal Radio. With Gene, with Chris, with Ray Stanford on the Paracast final segment, so we have to make the answers real short now. We want to cover a little bit more ground. Okay, the answer that you're holding out on us, what was the answer? Oh, what the beams are. We use the term torque beams, but they are not, I'm not talking about a rocket exhaust kind of torque, a, a reaction propulsion kind of torque, what these do, they are, they're not thrusters, in other words. What they're doing, they're simply electrifying a column of air out from the source, and then they will sweep this for whatever area they want to electrify. And what this does, it gives that area electrification, or in an intense phase, turns it into plasma, and the, it interacts with the magnetic field and thus produces more lift in that area than in the area where it's not applied, and that side will lift up. It, it, they, they tark themselves. In other words, the effect of the beam results in tarking. The beam itself does not really tark, but that is apparently what is happening, and we have just thousands of, of images of this kind of thing happening to some cases real extreme, beautifully sharp degrees, sometimes much less. Uh, they also have very, very intense magnetic fields, and although this has been a rarely recorded film, we have some excellent daylight examples wherein the electrification of the field around it became so strong that you're actually filming the visible magnetic field analogous to when in school you scattered iron shavings on a piece of paper under which there was a bar magnet and you saw a dipolar magnetic field. We have films that show that. But if one looks carefully, one will have the kind of look that I did when I was shooting an object. I was right in front of the Public Affairs and Administration Building at Goddard Space, Goddard Space Flight Center, November 19, 1989. During the last two photographs uh, I got of the object at 20 power telephoto, 1,000 millimeter, 35 millimeter film, I could see that it looked like the field was being visible around it. And in the last one, it's, it's just beautifully visible as a three-dimensional dipolar kind of feel, apparently due to the presence of uh, plasma uh, spiraling along the magnetic lines of force as plasma is inclined to do when it interacts with the magnetic. Uh, Ray, you mentioned uh, your presentation that you've been, uh, I mean, laboring on uh, practically since I've known you, which is going on eight years. When is this uh, presentation going to be made available to the public? What, what are your plans on presenting all this uh, really amazing uh, analytical work that you've been doing for, for decades now? So many people out there, they're just so taken by you. And they, they're just dying to, to get a chance to see this wonderful evidence that you've collected okay. and, and put into this amazing PowerPoint presentation that takes uh, about two days, really, to get through. How, how would a person go about uh, seeing this presentation? Well, if, if a person can 
can show me that they have good credentials in this field, that they're a credible person, not some kind of a half-cocked fluke out there that, that is into UFOs, but really isn't, except in an insane kind of way. If they can show me that they're a responsible, intelligent person that uh, would like to analyze this and have contributed constructively to the field of unidentified object studies, I will be happy to, in fact, have them come here to my own home and show this to them on a good large computer screen. Now, I am getting more open with this. We have done this gradually in the same way that uh, it took a lot of time for me to publish my new uh, genus and species of, of uh, notasar. You go about these slowly. You look at all factors. You try to understand what you're seeing because you want to describe it. And when you describe it, you want to describe it not with misleading terms, but with correct terms. And uh, it took us, oh gosh, uh, about four years to uh, to complete and get the paper on the dinosaur published in, in uh, Paleont- Paleontology Journal. And uh, in this case, we're working with something that new data has been uh, coming in as I've gotten more and more uh, films or photographs. And as my consultation with physicists has continued, I begin to see and understand more about it. What I'm trying to do is get it at a level to where it is really can be well explained, well described, and realistically interpreted, and hopefully get it published in uh, one or more peer-reviewed journals. Uh, There have been papers on unidentified flying objects that appeared in two fairly major, and one of them quite major, scientific journals. And Which ones are those? We've got to really move this along. Okay, well, I, I, don't, I don't recall the names. You'd have to ask. Uh, let me see. Bruce Maccabee uh, was one of the names that was on one, uh, the most recent one I'm aware of. But uh, simply Optical get physics. it in a major journal, and then we will come out with it at probably uh, both as printed form, I still believe in old printed books, and in, uh, in DVD form where you can see and hear and, and uh see the actual video uh, uh, movies themselves in video form on your screen out of the disc. Now, you understand why there's skepticism, Ray, and it's no insult intended, but you have people who say, I have information, I'm going to present it, going to publish it, it's going to be released soon, and it never seems to happen, so can you put a date? No, I cannot we'll put a date. This. It's okay. like we couldn't put a date on even the publication of the dinosaur paper until literally uh, two days before. Uh, you just can't do that in science. Uh, scientific wheels turn slowly, and people need to understand that. I will stress this. Uh, I am not in the entertainment business, and if somebody has serious scientific interest, they're welcome to call me. If they're willing to spend the money to fly across country or drive across country or, or if they're nearby, contact me and see this, fine. But uh, I, I'm not in the entertainment business, and uh, I will only publish it when I think – and in the opinion of the people that I'm working with, uh, they feel that we have it in a form, and then we submit it to editors and get it uh, ac- accepted, no matter whether it's uh, later uh, the popular book. Uh, I would hope, quite frankly, that all this occurs before, while I'm still on this uh, planet physically, but and I'm trying to move things ahead fast. Uh, that is my major motivation in trying to move things ahead. Well, Ray, you're in the, uh, the Washington, D.C. area. And uh, we do have uh, quite a varied listenership here. Uh, we have some scientists. We have uh, some some people, I think, uh, eminently qualified to uh, see if they can wrangle an invitation. I do put out uh, here publicly uh, an invitation to anyone that would like to, uh, to possibly take Ray up on this offer to contact us uh, uh, here at the Paracast. And uh, we'll go ahead and forward on your request to Ray. Um, Ray, I'm, I'm really excited uh, that you're moving forward with uh, this presentation. 
Uh, you were visited uh, recently by quite a famous uh, physicist who was quite taken with your work, and uh, I think yes. that, that that's a bit of a vindication, I think, for you, uh, that you were able to help him in some of his uh, thinking and uh, vice versa. Uh, also, uh, there's a uh, Washington, D.C. area of uh, major uh, publication uh, reporter who you've been spending quite a bit of time with who is just quite uh, – we can't talk about work. that right now. Yeah, I, okay. I, I know that, but um, okay, it, it okay. seems like you're really getting uh, yourself uh, uh, gearing up for um, release of this data. And uh, I, for one, you know, as, as I've told, often told you, I'm your biggest fan and, and do support you in your efforts. Appreciate and uh, it's uh, been really nice uh, getting you on the show. Obviously, we're going to have to have you back on. We could uh, we could make turn this into the Ray Stanford show very easily with with your amazing. Uh, the 60 years that you've been involved in this field practically. So uh, any other things that you want to say uh, before we uh, go ahead and sign off here? How much time do you have? One and a half minutes. Okay. Okay. Yes. Uh, I would like to get into uh, uh, some some of the uh, – when we look at UFO cases, I strongly recommend this book, Grassroots UFOs for Everybody. If you don't have it, go to Amazon.com and get it. Uh, these are not uh, – highly investigated cases in, in most instances, but they are described, uh, they're things people described uh, to uh, a fellow from the Center for UFO Studies, and uh, they are extremely interesting. It, when you find cases, when it's a bona fide thing, there will be phenomena that are totally surprising that we did not anticipate. And uh, uh, if I had time, I would go into the, some, some of the ones that we have experienced, but uh, it would appear that, that they have, for example, a beam that's well known in the literature that slowly projects out. Well, I, I got a good film of this on uh, October 5, 1985, and uh, uh, it appears that this beam can have different types of functions. Uh, in one case, it is used, and we have a film of doing this in which actually objects come, smaller objects come down this beam and leave and go off into the distance. They come back and go in the beam. One might speculate that that beam is to get them out of the primary field of the parent or mother object uh, so that they are not affected adversely by that field when it's too strong. That makes a lot of sense. I'll tell you what makes a lot of sense. If our listeners want to learn more of what you do, is there a way they can get a hold of you? Uh, I don't have a, I don't have a website, and I, I don't you know I don't have a, a publication of, of any kind. They can communicate with me. They could borrow a letter through Chris, I guess, and I would. I don't want to give out my email address, but I, if it's something I think is important, I'll get back to them. Okay, so it's right to us, news at thepowercast.com, news at thepowercast.com. If you have some questions or comments to make about Ray Stanford, or go to our forums, forum.thepowercast.com. A fast reminder before we go, Chris's site is ourstrangeplanet.com. That's our strange planet because it is a strange planet. To Ray Stanford, thanks for joining us this week on the PowerCast. My pleasure. The PowerCast, featuring Gene Steinberg and Christopher O'Brien, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in... The Paracast.